and welcome to the podcast. This is Every Trivial Fact. Is that uh, China speaking there? This meeting's being recorded. <laughs> Gave me the option to leave the meeting. Well, it's a Chinese program, isn't it? Uh, the Zoom? Yeah. I, yeah. I'm sure they're uh, really enjoying all the intelligence they're gaining on the U.S. by listening to the Nietzsche podcast. Like Facebook, right? Uh, they got yeah. profiles on all of us. I hope, I hope so. I hope my credit score, I hope I get it pre-approved for a good social credit loan. Oh, uh, I, I might need to borrow from you. Uh, but here we are. Uh, hello and welcome to Every Trivial Fact. I'm your host. My name is no one. And today I'm joined by my friend Keegan Kelson, writer, thinker, guitarist for doom metal band Destroyer of Light, host of the Nietzsche podcast. Keegan, uh, thanks for joining me. It's always been a pleasure. Thank you for having me on. Yeah, um, there's um, my radio audition. It's uh, <laughs> I, I, it, it might, might not be the best uh, future to invest in. Uh, but speaking of the future, I hear you do have a bunch of um, musical projects going at the moment. Care to share on those? Um, I, well, hmm. well, I had one that I recently left, actually, and then that opened the way for something new. And uh, I can't, I probably shouldn't talk about the details of leaving the other project too much, but I'll just say that we had recorded a probably one of the best records of my life uh in mostly in 2020 and then we finished it in 2021 and it still isn't out yet um and i'm not sure if it ever will be or uh, what the status of that is so me and the vocalist of that band what's up did you call it the greatest recording of your life so far yeah okay um and it's languishing at the moment because uh we 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 had internal disputes on um, some of the details of the release. I'm probably already saying too much with this because we like to keep everything like really private about like interband decisions and stuff. But I mean, I guess the it was the genesis of another project, right? So the vocalist and myself left, um, kind of one after the other. So and, now, uh, now I want to hear it. Damn. And and but we talked about it, and we're both bummed out about what happened but at the same time uh, my attitude that i tried to i've been trying to instill in him and uh the vocalist that i'm going to go with he's the singer of a band called monte luna also from Austin. but i've told him like no the next record's going to be even better than that and it is i like it it, it i think is going to be even better so that's i think the way to do it just keep going forward keep going into the future and it, i know it'll come out someday um because if the remaining members of the band don't want to release it. Eventually we will, um, you know, years down the line, if it has to be. I look forward to hearing that one. And you just came off of a tour. How was that? It's been, oh, it's, yeah, it's been I, a while for with uh, the plague season, right? Plague uh, season, plague years. Yeah, uh, it's, it is plague well, years at this point. I, I So I talked about it a little bit on the last Nietzsche podcast. I like kind of reserved the last like 30 minutes to talk about it, but it was long story short, it was a series of um, really great shows punctuated by uh, a series of minor disasters and catastrophes that we were able to surmount until the van's engine died in Oregon. Oh. Uh, and we finished the tour in a U-Haul cargo truck, uh, which was um not bad actually well, i was gonna say um, it's uh, kind of like a micro <laughs> microcosm for life or marriage or any number of things it, it really is well i mean when when you're um uh 
when you're in the position we were in, you know, uh, I, I think I mentioned this on the podcast as well, but a lot of people told us, you know, um, wow, I can't believe you guys stuck that stuck that out and you committed. And I mean, I, I, I guess I won't turn down people saying, well, I really respect y'all for that and all that, but what, what else were we going to do really? I mean, just like fly home. Like, is that, (laughs) is that a better plan? Everyone buys a plane ticket. uh, And then meanwhile, we make no money to pay our way home. Right. It's like, it's going to, whatever we do, it's going to be some variation of us renting a vehicle and driving home. We might as well rent a vehicle that can, tow our trailer and make the rest of the shows that we can make and offset that cost as much as we can. So on the one hand, yeah, like uh, you have to be a little bit, um, what would I say? Uh, We'll just say stupidly determined or stubborn or something like that. You have to be willfully stupid that that one crazy Nietzsche naive optimism. Yeah. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. I like un- I like uh, unreasonably happy. That's a, that's that's what I like. Right, you have to kind of have that attitude. But on the other hand, it was really the only thing that we could do, and so it's like one of those things that later on you look back yeah. on and you say, "Well, it was an adventure." Actually, though, it was pretty. It wasn't that bad, even when we were doing it. It was just there were things that we had to change. I mean, when we got into the desert, and uh, by the time we got to Las Vegas, it's like already getting up to like in the upper nineties during the day. So we had to drive at night. Um, So there are things like that that we had to plan for. Um, Coming through the immigration checkpoint on Interstate 10 on the way home was fun. Um, (laughs) Because... Did they they bust uh, you for hauling mariachi bands? Well, so, I mean, they'll... They have, like, x-rays and heat sensors and shit. So if you try and just go through the border checkpoint with two people in the back of a cargo truck, they'll, like, you know... And then, then they're going to open up everything and tear yep. up everything and they never help you put it back. So yeah. <laughs> uh, we were like, let's just all get crammed into the cabin and hopefully the list through. And they did. So, mm. so you halls in the music business and they don't even know it. Oh, they know it. Uh, I mean, a lot <laughs> yeah, of, well, I don't, I don't know. Okay. Yeah. I didn't know what. Yeah. Is. Well, like rent you whole trailers alternative, like the, yeah. not, yeah, like not the whole box truck. I mean, that's kind of crazy because two people were basically riding in the back of just a cargo hold that isn't climate controlled and it's not airtight and uh, it's loud as hell and it's not technically legal or safe or any of that. Um, but we were renting trailers from them for years. It is always a little weird, though, because when, you, <laughs> when you're returning the rental in town, if you have something go wrong with the trailer and you call them and suddenly you're out of state, even if you tell them you're going to go out of state, they always kind of freak out about it. Like you're supposed to bring this back to Austin. What are you doing in Tennessee? <laughs> so uh, it can, I don't know. We've actually had quite a few adventures with U-Haul, like renting us like faulty equipment. That's like, you know, we've had trailer tires blow on U-Hauls we rented and we got pulled over because one of the, uh, registration is at a date for two years they rented us one one time with like a leak in it that uh like got all our gear wet so um generally i've had bad things to say about u-haul but hey that was how we got home so i can't i guess i can't badmouth them too much (laughs) i I was gonna say i didn't think we'd get into uh uh, fighting the man here freaking big (laughs) u-haul you know (laughs) u-haul yeah screwing over uh speaking of uh screwing over musicians um what do you think of Ticketmaster? 
they're still around, right? Like oh, they still do their service right. and they're like, I, I want to say like a lot of big bands from like old and new alike have tried to protest them and this and that, but they remain, they like, what are they, the primarily, uh, primary monopoly in the music industry? Well, so it's kind of weird. So I've seen that this is like kind of blown up as a topic uh, recently. Yeah, but it's I've been around for, this for a while. It's been yeah. around for a while. Yeah. The thing is, we don't at the level we're at, we don't really have to deal with that. The 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 funny thing is really what the Ticketmaster thinks. So if people don't know about their mod their business model, they basically have I think the way they have it set up is that their contractor, I'm not exactly sure, but people go and scalp the tickets online and then resell them through Ticketmaster. And uh but the venues don't want to fight Ticketmaster on this because they make up so much of their business right so right. Ticketmaster basically gets to just process those fees that's all they really care about the scalpers get to make a bunch of money and then so this went on for so long that uh yeah it's a it's really going on for so long model. that uh artists now will like buy out seats from Ticketmaster uh for like their family and friends and stuff like that or like justin bieber bought out like a whole section right or for like guests and stuff like that. Um, and I've even heard of artists going in and buying a bunch through Ticketmaster so that they can be the ones to resell the tickets and get more profit from it um, through Ticketmaster, which is funny because so if anyone is experienced in the music industry, when you break into the music industry, if especially if you live in like LA or some shit, there are a lot of clubs that want you to pay to play. And uh, we've never done that. We're very much against it. Austin as a city is very against that model. But one of the things about that right. model that's kind of predatory is the booking agent basically says, oh, yeah, you want to play this show? Here's 40 tickets. You're going to pay me for those 40 tickets, but then you can sell them to your fans. And if you have a poll, you, I mean, because that's the thing. I understand it from like a cold calculating business model perspective, right? right? It's like, you just want to pack people in the door and bands come in all the time and they say, yeah, we'll pack 40 people in here. It's like, oh, really? Go sell 40 tickets. And then they right. quickly find it's really freaking hard to sell 40 tickets, right? To your family, especially if it's like 10, 15, $20 a pop or whatever, which it can be if you're like, because especially pay to play shows, usually it's to buy on to like, okay, a big touring act is coming through. So you're definitely going to get new fans but you need to bring in a certain number of people and so every ticket that you don't sell basically it's like you you start out like taking a big loss and then you can sell that loss away right and so right. i was thinking about it in relation to the Ticketmaster thing and i'm like wow it kind of sucks that if you're still just if you're justin bieber you're still paying to play you're still buying tickets and selling them just through Ticketmaster. Ticketmaster is making the big artists pay to play like they're they're putting them on the same model that young exploited artists get onto and so i think that's kind of hilarious on one right. level did even at that because, level it still sucks yeah I, I i've just been i've been working on an episode on wagner that's about to come out uh nietzsche's relationship to wagner and it's 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 a delight to learn that wagner was always in debt and uh like he's you know ascending to be one of the most famous composers in europe and he's just getting deeper and deeper into debt and anytime he gets money, he like gets paid royal patronage and stuff, and he's just using it to like, okay, I need to fund bigger artistic ventures, right? Uh, um, and that's so the usual culprits like hookers and blow, you know, Her <laughs> right. heroin, yeah, the big one. Well, I mean, in terms of yeah, uh, but but it's, it's like he's not 
he's not ever like, okay, how do I get out of debt and be financially stable? It's like, oh, I'm in a bunch of debt. How am I going to finance this new opera house? Right? <laughs> like, it's with somebody uh, else's money. <laughs> right. And so it's funny to me. It's like, oh, nothing, I guess nothing changes. Like, you, uh, unless you're like, you know, I guess maybe for, for people like Kanye West, it changes. Like, if you're like that filthy rich, but, right. Um, you're still doing the scramble even as a big artist on some level. I don't know. Right. Well, I was going to say, they, I remember what was it? Pearl Jam. They were protesting Ticketmaster. What years? Uh, like 10 years ago, maybe. Yeah. I remember that. And, and yeah. I maybe they still are. I don't know. Yeah. And then, uh, and then I know a lot no, of one's, art- no one knows because no one has heard from Pearl Jam and quote, I'm sorry, Pearl Jam fans, but, uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. hey, they're still yeah. relevant. Hey, they're still, it reminds me like, uh, Back in 20, I think it was 2017. It's like grandpa uh, music now. Well, speaking of grandpa <laughs> music, uh, Bob Dylan released this like 17 minute song on JFK. I want to say it was like 2017. Oh. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, way to, way to stay topical, Bob. Way to stay, <laughs> keep it in touch with the youth and the rebellion culture. Everyone's over here worried about JFK. Uh, right, right, right. Yeah, I'm sure it went over well with the, I mean, hey, uh, <laughs> well, the I people mean, buying like, new like, Bob Dylan records are probably our boomers. So yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I was just thinking like for the pulse of the times, even in 2017, right? Like we were already headed to where we were, where we're at now. Um yeah, I'm not I'm not a fan of Bob Dylan's like uh work for the past couple decades. Um and I'm not just saying that like generically like there's a lot of bands that are or artists who are really old who still produce really good work. Um Bob Dylan uh really hit or miss, really uneven. Like, yeah, no, I'm, I'm with you. I'm with you there actually. Yeah. Yeah. What a, just doing nothing but trash talking since I came on your what podcast. About, oh, is, well, yeah, well what about Neil Young? <laughs> Uh, I have no, pre- you know, hey. No, no, uh, I mean, no, no, a- I'm not, mainly his music. I'm going like, well, what, what right. about his music? Right. Was yeah. It, um, his music Nash, is, is uh, I think the majority of it is owned by Blackstone. So look up that, uh, that investment firm if you think that Neil Young like made a, a principled stand. As far as his music, Neil Young's uh, amazing. See, the, look, the forensics man. never lie, man. Uh, they really don't. <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, like, harvest moon time was classic thrashers um uh, yeah um castles i love uh into the black or uh into the blue sure out of the blue into the black i forget there's like two it's the song it's like there's like a folk version and then there's a rock and roll version and i always forget which is which did you ever hear um um, it's the one that cobain quotes in his suicide note zach wilde the guitarist Uh, yeah, his cover of um, not Harvest Moon, Heart of Gold. Heart of Gold. Oh, I have not heard that. Okay, Check that out, sounds you know, interesting. Okay, I'm assuming there's some like uh, pinch harmonics on that. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, that's you know they, he's pretty distinctive, <laughs> right? You can like, I guess. Okay, here. Yeah, this is an interesting topic in general. Uh, the sound and tone of a of a guitarist. You know, from like you hear them and you're like, I know who that is, you know, and, and it, you, it doesn't matter if they're old or new. It's like if they have a distinctive voice, you know, because I think about this in terms of communication, uh, not too different than even when we speak, but like musically speaking, you know, it's like, okay, you know, name any band or whatever. And it's like right away, I think like, okay, can you, like, can you hear them distinctly out of anyone else? And it's often, you know, if they're, you know, I guess if they do have an established identity and voice, then you do. But then there's a lot of music. Well, it's amazing that. Necessarily know. 
it's amazing that so many uh, young artists uh, begin by trying to consciously emulate the exact sound of other artists. Oh, you mean like no like one Zach has? Wild? Well, no, I mean like uh, bands that that you know you go see. A, a, I maybe I'm unusual because I see live bands playing guitar music all the time and there's sure. probably some people out there for whom that's like a kind of a crazy thing to say <laughs> like you know that they they don't watch any of that but uh you'll see you know you see a band you mean and, you mean uh, like just you jam immediately, bands you immediately or, know or no, i mean like bands, bands opening for us or okay, bands sure. that are at shows in town or i'm going to see somebody and i catch like you know a, a new band and you can immediately tell oh you like pantera or, oh yeah, oh, you well, like want to sound like um, so, you know what I mean? Like it's, it's right, but right sometimes away. it's like right. We'll just uh, I mean, um, there was a band we played with in this last tour, and we just uh, when we were talking about them amongst ourselves, we were like, oh, Metallica, because that they it was exactly like Metallica. Um, well, and uh, so early, early uh, a thrash Metallica, no, no bad Metallica. Metallica. Um, like give me fuel, give me fire, Metallica. Yeah, uh, um, but I like he called him country western. That that's a good dig. Well, they they kind of they kind of went there with the black album, and you know, um, like I'm I'm still talking shit. Um, but anyway, I get I guess that's the mood I'm in. But well, what I was very, say you is, do it very politely, so it works. It's endearing. <laughs> but uh, what I was gonna say is the uh, it's the same way with guitarists, right? Um, oh well, so what I was gonna say, what you, you see a band and you you know exactly who they want to sound like. And maybe they do sound like a facsimile of that band, but no one's ever become like one of the great bands by trying to sound like someone else. Oh, sure. Even though a lot of those artists do begin that way. And I actually love a lot of those albums. So maybe I'm contradicting myself here, but like, you know, you, you talk about early Metallica. It's like, you listen to that first Metallica, uh, like, listen, go, if you, if you're somebody out there who, knows a little bit about Metallica for their big records, go listen to the No Life to Leather demo. It sounds like Judas Priest meets Motorhead. It's very derivative, but I really like it because you see like kind of the seeds of what they would do later, right? Of like how they would harvest something out of that. Um, but that being said, it's like what the reason why they became a great band isn't because they sounded, isn't because they perfected sounding like Motorhead, right? Because Motorhead already exists and you're not going to yeah. You're not going to scratch that itch better than Motorhead does for people. And so it's very like, it's incredibly, it's like the artistic imperative that you find your own distinctive voice if you want to be not forgotten. Because it happens to bands all the time. We're, we're, we're in the van. We're listening to like, uh, you know, some mid-level underground band, right? And some a lot of them sound similar to each other and it's like oh, is this so-and-so no it's so and so. oh yeah they sound really similar to each other <laughs> right this, this and black it's abyss like, raucous no it's space wizard moon knight <laughs> is this, uh... yeah it's wizard it's wizard witch uh it's cast it's dragon castle um, is this elect electric uh, lizard yeah eye poker no electric this is... lizard no Eclectic this is this lizard. is, this is um, bong, bong ripping space goblin <laughs> you know right yeah the uh then oh man and that's love the band name it's one of those things it's one of those things about uh doom metal that everyone's aware of, of how fucking ridiculous like the naming conventions are and everyone makes fun of it and yet people know that if you put bong witch on your record um i'm sorry if there is a band out there called bong witch i'm not taking a shot at you i've never heard you but uh because there probably is but yes. people know you put that on a record and 
it'll um well, i think there's the, some there's something about the boilerplate thing that's like a uh it's like a betrayal of like the artistic project in exchange for um having it's like hedging your bet right it's like you um you're you're never gonna be like a remembered you're never going to be one of those bands to people, right? That's like special. You're never going to be like a Radiohead or the Beatles or Kanye West or anything. If you do like a boilerplate band where you just want to sound like this genre, but what you, but what that does is it makes it, it gives you a much better chance of going and making some money for a few short years. And then maybe you can like parlay that into being right. a session player but isn't or something it like that knowing your audience and kind of getting in where you fit in because what are your options really anyway you know they were they were never going to be on mtv like back when let and then compared right. to uh mtv back then and then compared to now where it's you know the self-publishing and other kind of rules and deals and things people get into well i knew this guy who um i just like met him at a bar i didn't play in a band with him but uh um friends of them for like a couple years and uh i remember he was a, he was a drummer and he 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 didn't play when i met him like in any group but he was basically saying um yeah i was in all these like early 2000s metalcore bands and so you know if you don't know what that is you can like look look up that like that the, there's a whole aesthetic and like basically the way he described it to me right he he called it a marketing machine and he was like, you get put on, he's like, you get signed to a label. They book you a tour with like four bands that sound exactly the same as you. Everyone looks exactly <laughs> the same. Everyone dresses exactly the same. And it's basically all the names, like you can just tell, like, you know, that, that they have that like same aesthetic to them as well. And we just go on tour and he's like, and yeah, it's like, no, no one of us is ever going to be like the big one that goes and packs stadiums, but we all like packed like mid-sized venues every night like you get five bands that are the same like there's like a whole scene behind it right and he yeah. was like yeah i just made money like and then you, one day it ends and it's like that trend is dead now nobody like oh yeah, yeah metalcore like, uh, anymore yeah it's dead yeah well um uh, not entirely but it's not where and you can just scream screamo was adjacent right like that was i think that screamo was i would say is a little before um, yeah but yeah it, it, but um, it was it was trending in that same direction um it's a very similar vibe uh screamo though I've, i found uh, a lot of those guys to be like uh more interesting like composers um i can see that. there's a lot more um because a lot of what come screamo comes out of is like post hardcore where they're using like some cool chords and you know right. the, the the music can be really melodious it's just the vocals are just uh well it's in the name you know <laughs> right. Uh, so uh, I, I, in this, in our talk here, you know, we talked about, uh, you talked about the musical voice and I was actually thinking in terms of, you know, a band like, you know, we use the example of Metallica and, you know, a lot of times these bands will just make the same album year after year. So it's hard to blame anyone for wanting to try something new or novel. You know, uh, I think someone who exemplifies it, it could be anyone from uh, Tom Waits to, uh, you know, cause he, he went from lounge singer crooner to friggin' right. weirdo, you know, in the, in the place yeah. and it's been <laughs> there. Ever. Ultimate weirdo. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. I think he's a real artist. King art. God weirdo. Yeah. God he, well, weirdo. he, cause he's an artist artist, right? That's why, right. That's why he's so well respected. He doesn't give a shit. Yeah. And he I don't doesn't think give anyone, a shit what you think 
about his like that's and that's why like oh and he didn't come out protesting he i don't well i don't think he came out you know in recent years and good on him if he didn't um it's hard to blame anyone but i know part of the modern problem is that a lot of people don't want to say anything like you know with social media and these other kind of trends where because they know they're just right. gonna be attacked and it's like you know it's like uh, a lot of celebrities have been shredded or canceled or whatever the case is right but but are we, we you're saying maybe oh, yeah. it's like it's good that he didn't say anything because also on the other hand we don't like who who cares well, what like starts, rich rich people, on, celebrities think yes on one hand yes and i think it's good that the celebrity allure like now that the world can see what americans really think and feel and how atrocious and you know backwards a lot of the behavior is like some of that mystique can die and i think that's a good thing you know because as a media obsessed culture it's clearly um affected people and i mean that like with literal psychosis and uh yeah. i'm not i'm not i'm not trying to say you know heavy metal makes kids commit suicide that's not what i'm saying right nothing in that direction <laughs> uh but to the degree that you know we're inseparable from the context and the zeitgeist and the pulse of the times you know uh and i'm and i guess i can think of anything from like ph phenomenon like columbine and school shootings to the slender man killings to so many other things i don't mean to get too far away from this other topic here on voice because i guess the difference is uh, when i think of earlier metallica and later metallica it's like they did the shift and then they stopped doing guitar solos on one of their out you know uh saint anger or whatever it was yeah and then that's a hilarious scene yeah saint anger is a wonderful if you can detach like when you first see it if you're like if you actually like like the band metallica which it's kind of hard at this point because everyone's like that movie's been out for a long time now and everyone kind of knows about it but right. it's really sad but it's also if you can detach attached from it after all these years it's hilarious um sure because kirk hammett gets really angry that he can't do guitar solos anymore um he's like throwing yeah, his we, pen or whatever yeah i mean well then it's metallica and it's thrash it's like what do you mean no guitar right. solo? but you know so, uh and so it's like they brain schemes yeah and then rather than it being an expression of an original voice or write something profound or whatever it is um well, they say that the trend in music right now is not to do solos. So you can, it's like, all right, I appreciate you doing something new, but you don't need to follow the trend. I mean, but okay, to go to something more fundamental, really. Well, do we need and a I'm Twitter quote, for music? Do we need to be like, all right, songs should no longer be more than 58 oh, seconds? Oh, dude, 15 seconds. Oh, yeah. <laughs> or, okay, 15 seconds. Okay, that's good too. Yeah, Take, uh, music yeah come on, man. Um, what <laughs> uh, how about your lowest. career can't be longer than 15 years that would be good well because what, what i'm about well, what to about say slayer because uh, they're they're can they were consistent right like uh, i think about right. it all, out of all the thrash bands you have like a yearly slayer. review after that for you to renew your license oh that, that, that's um, that's fun i, I actually, I actually like, like that. are you still crushing it all right iron maiden slayer judas Pre yeah you guys can keep going king diamond you can keep singing right. but um what I was going to say, though, I, I mean, yeah, I'm obviously uh, if you, not being serious, um, but in terms of but I am kind of serious on the level of, OK, I'm going to quote from uh, an incredibly philosophical film, Rocky Three, where uh, it has one of my favorite lines in it, because so everyone knows the song Eye of the Tiger. That's an actual line that Apollo Creed says to Rocky but he's saying it in terms of like the reason why you beat me this isn't a direct quote but he's like the reason why you beat me when i was a champion is that you had the eye of the tiger and when he elaborates on that he's like you were hungry you were 
you know, oh, uh, yeah. a young huge. fighter who had something, something to gain. And, uh, you know, I had, I had everything to lose basically at that point. Right. And, but the, the line I think of is his, uh, his trainer tells him, uh, at one point he's like, Rocky, the, the worst, the thing that happened to you is the worst thing that can ever happen to a fighter. You got civilized. <laughs> and, um, yeah, that's what happened to Metallica. And that's why they started to suck. It's entirely a function of the fact that like after the black album, when you've literally played, you've toured for like two years straight and you've played for like the biggest audience in the world at that point. And um, then you go on to like live a life of like wealth and luxury. Um, You know, I often say that Metallica in 1983 would have like beat the shit out of Metallica now. Oh, I, like if they yeah. could go back in time. No, um, but they were probably right. young and hungry. They oh, well, I, mean, aggr- I immediately aggressive of, fucking music too. Yeah, met, uh, not metal up your ass. With what was it actually called? Um, kill em all. Yeah, kill em all. Right. That it was that you know when I think of hunger, I think of that album. And then there's so many other. Yeah. Uh, it's really apparent in a lot of metal bands, and then plenty of other bands too. Uh, when you can hear that. And then, and that's where this right through. And then the years later, they get clean and they get a few wives and kids, and you know things just kind of go through. And then again, they rather than you kind of lose a lot of times, you lose that original voice, and it just sounds like they're quoting or satirizing themselves. And I guess that's why you right. Well, especially you if you artistic get... integrity. Okay, so the governmental department of artistic integrity was like right. right the right. excuse can be we're doing this for your sake, right? It's like a hunger. It should be like a Hunger Games, really. <laughs> oh, I'm okay with, with with the with American <laughs> celebrity. It's if like you want right. to keep well, like well, not just celebrity, but like working artists, like past a certain number of years. Like, all right, if you want to keep doing this, you have to fight to the death against other artists and whichever ones are. Oh, left. that would keep that hunger um, alive. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, and a lot of them would take the smart route and they'd be like, you know what? Made my millions. I'm done because that, so that's the thing. You, the, the energy that's on kill them all <laughs> is literally impossible for somebody who's shopping at the Gucci oh. store in Milan to, 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 to conjure up. It's oh, literally fucking no, impossible. Do you ever see that meme uh, with Danzig and it's like punk rock didn't die. It just stopped to get cat food or, or yes, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Glenn yeah. Danzig is another one where oh, it's I, like, dude, his, uh, his me- I love, I, I mean, the misfits are good, but I, I love his metal. I mean, you know, I loved his metal. Yeah. I can't, you know, cause a lot of me, I'll, I'll, be, I'll be honest, man. A lot of music and metal music, especially it's like they hold special point uh what spots in my heart but it's not necessarily like i don't necessarily listen to it that much these days or you know what i mean i i don't find myself in the mosh pit as often as i did and all that stuff too um yeah dan well dan's strange because he's now he's now decided that he can make movies uh and he's made like a couple of them and they're they good really bad oh. no they're really bad <laughs> is that uh is that um, intentional i don't get that vibe like i mean I think a lot of uh, you can set out trying to make like it's like a corny bad movie and still make like a legitimately bad movie that's not fun to watch, right? I like, and uh, so not like Tommy Wiseau. Right, I mean, well, they kind of look they look a little bit alike, right? They do. It is a weird <laughs> thing with uh, well, they uh, if anyone's like a fan of Red Letter Media, they talk about like the filmmaker. Uh, there's a lot of like B movie guys who like write, direct, star in like their own movies oh that was they peter all, like, jackson before lord of the rings right i don't know if he was in it but 
but but a lot Maybe of them that's... like walk around in like black tank tops and and stuff like that it's like so it's like a stereotype it's like oh the black tank top guy middle-aged white dude who thinks like uh he's gonna be the badass in the movie so that's all like applies to tommy was so at certain points he in that film neil yeah. breen uh is another another guy like that but um yeah I, if we get off under this topic it'll take up the whole podcast because i could talk about the room for like a whole like two <laughs> yeah, hours i could talk about it for the I, length of the film so <laughs> anyway how is your sex life <laughs> the best one uh, he, beat, he beat her up so bad he put her in the hospital <laughs> what a story mark oh yeah what a, what a story yeah uh, so, i personally like the 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 manic editing uh when uh, of the sound editing when he goes in to buy roses and then the lady says uh where he says thanks have a nice day and she just immediately after with no break goes you're my favorite customer and it just sounds like clipped in uh it's great um have you heard that just uh because i came to the same conclusion before i saw this written anywhere but it totally gives me the vibe of again if aliens came down and tried to make a human movie it would be kind of like this right well Well, there is a theory that he's like a vampire oh yeah because he 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 like said that he uh, made the money to um uh, to make the room by importing leather jackets from Korea or something like that. It was some story. It's like, what? Uh, it doesn't track. And uh, he's claimed to be an American. Um, and when people have inquired, because they're like, obviously you're from Europe. Um, <laughs> he, he said, no, I'm from New Orleans. And then when really pressed, he he apparently said, I, I, lived, I used to live in Paris, but that was, quote, a long time ago. And uh, I mean, just the way he looks in general, because he does. It's so it's amazing because he he doesn't sound New Orleans. He doesn't sound French. He doesn't sound. No, any. those those are two cities that vampires are known to live in. If we're being real, like, you know, that vampires, if they're living in America, they're living in New Orleans. I think that was Queen of the Dam starts out in New Orleans, actually. No, it's another amazing film. Um, R.A.P. Elia. But yeah, so I think he's a vampire. That's my psychoanalysis of Tommy. Yeah, so. I, yeah, he well could be. I mean, he can. He, boy, he could be from Romania or friggin' um Poland or. Oh, all vampires are Romanian now, huh? No, well, I'm, I don't you mean to be stereotypical. Your, your privilege. But, okay, well, check this out. Is the story because I I think I asked you before about Bram Stoker's Dracula, which is a great story, but uh, you know, it really there is this fear of foreigners in there because the whole premise is. I guess are you familiar with that premise of it's in that story mm-hmm. particularly where for them to take root in England they they buy property they they make their way there and then they have to set their coffins on their native soil. So right. you know it's like you know to the degree that all horror stories are in fact allegorical there's no way around it right it's representative of our fears and even something like well the unknown the nameless the formless that's a category of fear that houses all the other fears, you know, and this is, I'm thinking of Lovecraft's, you know, the oldest uh, fear to, of mankind is the unknown, you know, after yeah. that strongest yeah. emotions fear. And then the oldest is fear of the unknown. Yeah. I've never thought about that. Actually, that Dracula. Um, yeah. Damn, and it's in Nosferatu too. Yeah. They see they have to be bare. They can only sleep in the goddamn soil in which they were buried, as I recall damn, is the quote. Yep. Damn vampires taking our uh, jobs. Yeah. God damn it's, vampires. It's, it's, it's movie makers, uh, no less. Well, it, it is interesting, yeah, that it, it can't just be that there's like a Dracula over there in Transylvania. The The scary thing is they might come over here. Oh, well, I think they might be, legally I, immigrate. 
You they know? would have to be everywhere by now. Yeah. Well, this is the important, right, right. the strong border, you know. <laughs> you, you, don't know you, you don't know how many you don't know how many people in mexico are, are suffering from vamp vampirism yeah right or uh like lycanthropy or like really anything any number of supernatural ailments oh so that's uh, an interesting phenomenon in humans when it does happen and people do think they're i was checking out this case study not too long ago of this guy in florida who lost his mind and you know drugs and other things might have been involved but you know i'm not going to go through the whole story but yeah the story ended with him um you know trying to chew someone's face off and oh, it was sweet just, you know and then look this, this is this, this is florida right yeah well this is just a, i think so and it's just another day of, like to me it's like okay there's just another day of mental illness it's in another, america another day in florida or yeah and mental illness in america yeah, yeah no and of course because um, like the violence and the mental illness go hand in hand and it's like even with or without mental illness we have a lot of violence uh it could be from the draculas but no one's ever done the studies so right uh, yeah uh, hmm i i kind of wonder to what degree that's i guess i'll just say those kinds of like ailments because i've also heard of like poor uh what is it poor porphyria hemorrhagic porphyria something like that there's like also a condition that people have like correlated with vampirism possibly um but just the psychosis of believing that I'm a literal werewolf and therefore yeah. I have to eat somebody's face. That one's That's pretty so far wild to me because yeah. I don't know. I, I'm like wondering about the, uh, I'm struggling to find the word like of the, the, uh, he was dedicated not, te too. teleology. Te teleology is the wrong word. Uh, I, I guess I'll just try and describe what I'm, I'm looking for here is, what does that imply about human nature? If you could have a psychotic condition where you oh, I think you're this. a werewolf to the point of, of acting it out. Is that um, like, cause, cause we wouldn't just like reduce that to like, well, he was just culturally. Influenced oh, right. To think right. That way. Cause it's not everybody. Phenomenon, does. Right. It's telling of what lies. But it can't be inborn because it's cultural. Well, right? it, well like, are you saying it, that if, it, if vampires or werewolves didn't exist as part of the culture? Because here's no check this out, because part of his psychosis. Right. Yeah. Would that was, that's the, that's a great way of phrasing the question. He would questioned his person... sister. He says, I think I'm a he said he said to give you a hint in words towards his condition. He did tell his sister, um, uh, like, I think I'm a horse dog demigod or something. He, he said something like that. And he expressed this sentiment a few times as the family and other people were realizing something was seriously wrong. And then eventually he snapped and, you know, I don't know if he decided in the end that he was a horse dog or a dog horse, because he mentioned a few other animals somewhere in there. Um, but yeah, when it finally snapped uh, and then when the, Oh, get this. And when the police were trying to pull him off, dude, they, they tasered him, they kicked him in the head. You know, they, they, they tried doing it minimally at first just to, you know, cause they're thinking, look, he's chewing off someone's face. He, you know, I guess the assumption is, it's not normal human behavior. He'll give it up easily. And they just kept booting him in the head and tasering him and all this shit. And he wouldn't stop eating this guy's face. He was like that. Holy into it. shit. Yeah. He was literally, he became that horse demon vampire God thing. Mm -hmm. He was going to town. That sounds like a good reason for having some sort of law against being a furry. Or another can no. In all seriousness, because um, it works. Okay, yeah. Well, that so that doesn't sound that much. doesn't sound like a. Uh, it doesn't sound like it's necessarily like a direct uh, link to like some sort of legend or myth. It sounds like yeah, I don't know. Immediate, I, immediate psych. Uh, 
I don't know. It almost the behavior seems like almost without any myth. A Jungian would, would probably say that he's like, um, he's just being overtaken by uh, contradictory and violent unconscious impulses, and so he's correlating those with animals because that's like our animalian side, maybe. But he also is, uh, you know, the 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 counterbalancing compensation for that is to say. Uh, is to draw from the other direction, right? Super ego. So uh, I'm, well, I'm a man and I'm a horse dog thing. So I must be a God, right? Um, so it's you can do a just, very interesting union like analysis of such a person, I guess. Yeah. It almost seems like a blowout of the subconscious, like uh, of the subconscious. Yeah. Cause right. Well, men- mental illness Which, is a weird thing because the question is how do we even define it? Like the term, even the term mental illness let me put it like this. So those early psychologists, when they first started chopping open the brains, they thought they were literally going to find like, oh, look, there's a lesion. There's a sore on this thing, right? There's the illness. And then when that didn't happen, they were kind of stumped, you know, and it, uh, I think even the the terminology gives it a way that we think of it as a, a process of just consciousness, like a solely I don't know, uh, transitory or tran- even transcendental, like it goes both ways, right? With the elevation or egoism of consciousness. But to me, it's like, no, it's, you know, because we are not separate from our bodies, let's say, let's say we're working off of that as a first principle that there is in fact no separation. Um, mm-hmm. You know, then, then, then to my mind, you know, and this, this is what I came after, after reading Nietzsche a long time ago, you know, that, mental illness is actually closer to a disordered will because similar to someone who's you wouldn't necessarily call men, mental mentally ill but who doesn't necessarily have a strong will or who's depressive or something like that you know you you see that they whatever whatever it is in their life or their mind or body they can't seemingly act on what they think they should or what they know they should or whatever it is when you see those sorts of things happen with people let's say uh well I'm- I mean, if you take depression, I mean, it all comes down to, right. Okay. So yeah, what kind, what it's kind, funny. So you, we have well, categories, well, right? Well, there's that, that, but, but when you're bringing up like how they originally um, believed, oh, we're going to find these lesions in the brain. Right. Yeah. It sort of reminds me of like, we almost had like a hangover resurgence of that same attitude with like the wave of antidepressants that we tried to like when we really realize oh sure that we had a big problem with depression in america we, there are all sorts of drugs and things that we've tried right that are right. basically based on the model of like this is some sort of physiological problem that we can just adjust and i mean i'm not going to say i'm sure there's some people who'd be like well hey those are effective or at least marginally effective right. for some people and then some people blah, commit blah, blah. suicide or have no luck or, you know, or just kind of sure. and right. well, I mean, cause it's imperfect. I think, I understand I think it's, it's fair to say though, that. right. It's fair to say though. It's like, guys, we clearly haven't solved the depression problem. Yeah. So or this the, is not the yeah. answer. You can say like, okay, maybe it helps some people sometimes marginally at like that. You know, if you're like at the limits of like on the edge of killing yourself or whatever, and this makes you feel like 5% better to the point where you don't kill yourself. Okay. I guess good. You know, that's yeah, well, fine. That's but a to what you're, to what you're saying though. Right. Well, and I don't know how you can measure that, but so to what you're saying though, I think it's almost like when you talk about like a disordered will, 
I would they say, look upset? don't a lot of mentally ill people look really upset that they that they're hearing these voices and that they can't write like I, I, I you, you see the fear you see the anger and to me it's like I think I would from what I can perceive as a supposedly sane human being I would say that I think I would be pissed off if I was suffering from that too yeah you well, know I, mean? no, I, that's, I would be freaked that's out certainly too true well I'm, I'm just thinking in terms I of I might not be thinking like crazy enough what, here I, what I don't know causes mo- I would say what causes most so most depression that people feel in America, again, so there could mean a lot of things, right? Let's just say the whole uh, total umbrella, of everything that's called depression that is afflicting uh, some large n- amount of the populace can probably be sourced to like external factors. It's like, well, what does that mean? Um, or the conditions the, of modern life. And I think it drives a lot. I do think it drives a lot of people. Or conditions crazy. of your own life where it's like, okay. Oh, personal life you're for just sure. Not, you're not getting enough exercise. You're not eating right. You're not sleeping right. Yes. And people are kind of like, well, scoff at that. It's like, well, no, no, you have actually to address really, those areas first. Right. And it's actually really hard to address those. I sound like fucking Jordan Peterson, but you know, what's actually a really hard thing to do to, to, to get all that straight, but you got to get it straight. Anyway, um, you know, it's like that sort of speaks to what you're saying. Disordered will, right. right. That doesn't mean it's like, I'm, there's, I'm not big on like, that means behavior. I mean, there's like, there's lots of things we do that seem, you know, I, I guess we haven't established definitions of, okay, well, what's health? Because to a lot of people, I think what you might call health might be uh, boring or unsuitable for someone else, you know, um, when it comes to either risky behavior or, um, you know, I guess I'm thinking of anything like from extreme sports to, because it's like, look, okay, this person's technically healthy, but they're engaged in these other behaviors that could end their lives, let's say. So there's this element or, you know, any other profession uh, where you might be in shape, let's say. I don't oh, well, yeah, they almost all, track here. I would, I mean, I would say if we're being sufficiently Nietzschean, though, part of health is risking your safety. Yeah, so well, what's the you point of it otherwise? It, like, well, it'll, 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 it'll make you unhealthy if you don't. So I think so. I mean, yeah, I, th- well, I think I would say that's pretty close to an objective fact, honestly, because if you try to live a life of total safety where you don't do anything that could potentially hurt you, um, that's, I mean, we all know what that leads to because people in the U S we're, we're living out a social experiment where there are actually people who can live like that. And when they do, I mean, what does that look like? That looks like agoraphobia. It looks like um, having no social life or hobbies and becoming a, Beast and depressed and anxious and dying at 50, you know, lots of, lots so was that drugs, really a healthy lots thing of stress, lots of pressure. But I mean, again, right. it's, it, but I'll say this, that there's that element of, you know, what kind of measure of health is it to adjust yourself to a sick society and whether that's, you know, cause I'll say this, like the whole mental, we were talking about the treatment of mental illness earlier with drugs and that angle is like, okay, is it a, um, is it, a, you know, it's kind of a, a mental or social, it's, it's partially a mental and social problem as related to one's will towards these things, because you could say, okay, well, you know, naturally we have these social instincts and these other instincts and they, you could question, because no matter how much the person is to blame for the behaviors and the, the things in their life, let's say you could, you know, to, to put it all on them or say that they, they deserve everything they get or that, you know, that that's what they created. 
uh, regardless of all that, like I think when 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 Young talks about the sort of thing, he still will he'll, he'll be he points out that. Uh, even though, you know, this guy will come into the office to discuss the intimate facts of his life, that it's still inseparable from, you know, the, the, the greater zeitgeist around him. You know, he's he's also affected by that, too. And I'm sure you've had weird dreams with like, oh, who the who the what the fuck is like, why are there Ninja Turtles here? Or why are there, you know what I mean? Like, to the degree that we do have all these images floating around in our psyche. But I do think that this more material approaches, it's like funny. It's like, I think it shows the I don't know, maybe, maybe it's the dysfunctional halves of the Neoplatonic dualism where it's like on one side, it's we, we identify with the mind as this thing that's separate from the body. And even if we're not Christian or religious, usually there's this tendency to still believe and phrase things as, as if you are a mind that's separate from a body or a mind that can yeah. escape the body. And then conversely, that regardless of where this problem comes from, that we, we're going to try to treat it materialistically because we actually don't really have a good handle on how else to treat anything. Well, well, and it's, it's the idea that <laughs> it's, it's almost like uh, we we're mind body dualist materialists, right? That's, I think, I think you just, well, you just like illuminated something for me, right? Because that's what it is when you think, Oh, there's a problem with the mind. Well, everything's material but the mind lives in the brain so we have to fix the, the brain the, but the so brain means, the body so there's a chemical imbalance in the brain so we've got to address this with drugs that address the chemical imbalance in the brain or yeah, i don't think we understand it thing, really well honestly legions or whatever well but that's what i'm saying is like uh that ignores that again and I, i've brought this up talking to multiple people sure. but uh and i kind of just alluded to it now it's like um your gut has a very strong uh, vote, right. <laughs> or it has a, a large number of votes in, in what your mood your is. Serotonin production. It's huge. Right. And so that was, that was relatively, uh, I think that was, that was a recent discovery. I want to say in the last five to 10 years. Uh, and yeah, and who, who, who would, who would have thought, uh, right. Well, and it, but then you like, there is like a common sense element of it, which, uh, you could, you could look to that that's gone back, you know, a thousand years of like, Oh, you know, um, if you keep yourself, I mean, that's sort of like, in a way we could say that that's like the naive Platonism, right? The true is the beautiful is the good. Um, you know, the, the person who's going to have a positive outlook in life and be happy is probably going to be the person who's healthy and taking care of themselves. But now we just have a scientific basis to say like, yes, if you, if you eat, you know, nothing but cheese doodles and, and like Snickers and like soda, and then you feel depressed all the time. And then you're like, oh, I feel depressed. I'm going to binge eat all these foods that make me feel like get a little more dopamine. Right. And then you, your stomach continues to try and like extract nourishment from like Doritos or whatever. Um, right. That it's like, like, have you tried that, heroin? <laughs> you know? Right. Right. And then, so it's like, that's, that to me is like, for one, it's what you're saying. It's a disordered will. Second, it yeah. is attributable to the broader society because Right. Why the we fuck too, did we stock successful. the shelves with poison? And then most people, and then again, it, the, the, those, the, the instincts, despite any conscious rumblings or assumptions that, oh, we've discerned and understood or overcome our instincts. I think it's, you know, any kind of thinking that tends too far in that direction. You know, I think we have a certain awareness. I think we've named a few traits, you know, as, as a wider species in this linguistic project but fundamentally i don't think people have actually generally speaking it's not something that's just overcome like that and i don't know that it can be you know what i mean it's in terms of general human behavior 
to the degrees that anyone can. Oh, no. I mean, mean, it gets weirder the lower. That's why it's why I like Nietzsche's term drives. um, Because uh, it's a little bit I find it to be a little broader than instincts and it's not. uh, But we'll just say like whatever. However, whatever degree to which you feel yourself liberated from your irrational and conscious drives is the degree to which some one of those drives is successfully fooling you and using you to its ends. That's what that means when you're like, oh, I'm freeing myself from my drives. It's like, look very carefully at what you're actually moving towards in life when you start to feel like that, because that is a drive telling you that. It's a drive telling you it's conquered the right. other drives. I think that's, and um, I think that's, that's a drive. Um, or again, so, so, and then if the thought is you overcame that driver, that instinct that you actually probably don't know what it has in store for you in that case. <laughs> well, I mean, I'll say this. Well, it's like, a I have thing had... about choice. Let me say this about choice real quick. Yeah. Like from an early age to a later age, you know, we are making choices in life, whether we realize it or not you know, that's what we call them at least. And they can have profound effects on us, whether we can see that in the short term or the long term. And you never know how that's actually going to affect you in the long term and the short, or, you know what I mean? So it's really a weird, yeah. you know, it's like by the time you're even aware of this notion, it's already too late. Like you've already been, you know, like you've already been moving this, you know, down this road, whether you realize it or not. And I guess that speaks to people's regrets in life. Yeah. You know, that, that, that they could wind up to a position to even look back and go, how did I miss this? How did I not do this? I, this is, you know, makes you never yeah, want to be I, that person, doesn't it? Well, it was, it was uh, another thing I was uh, talking about um, in the episode of, with uh, Nietzsche and Wagner. Um, I really get the impression from reading a lot of the background material that like approximately three years when Nietzsche first became a professor at Basel and when the Wagners lived pretty close to him and he went to visit them a bunch, that those were like the good old days. Shortly after that, it's like he publishes Birth of Tragedy, his academic career starts kind of going sideways and the Wagners move away. And then like, yeah, other people will find other like momentous events in Nietzsche's life, right? But I, the way Nietzsche writes about it and talks about it, especially in Eke Homo, I mean, he basically says, in so many words, those were the good old days. But it's like, oh, then right. you think about it, it's like three years are not, it's not very long. No, and not, so at, well, not at all. Well, I thought that- It's one the, of those things where you just never know. It's like you, you don't know, like you were just saying how, you never know how your choices are gonna wash out in the end. Right. It's like, you don't know, um, you know, it's like uh, things are going a certain way for like a long time and all of a sudden it's like, that's over. uh and then you may like realize like oh wow that was actually really great and until i had this point of comparison i don't really understand that Um, yeah well uh, we're back to the microcosm of life and marriage and (laughs) etc right uh right no no and that's and that's that's i guess that's the whole learning in a retrospect or hindsight that it really is hard to see when you're kind of younger and in it um or you're really well to go back i mean if i can drag it back to the first topic briefly uh nothing gave me an appreciation of like what my past eight years uh before the pandemic were like uh the pandemic i mean nothing uh i mean i was i was at that point when i think back to how i felt in 2019 i mean i don't want to say i was like uh 
I was conflicted, we'll say, because it is, I was having that awareness, like, ah, in a couple of years, I'll have been doing this for 10 years. Am I really that much farther along than I was at the beginning? You start to have those conversations with yourself, like, how long can I really keep doing this? Like, uh, I'm going to get older. So you're just and then, you know, I've talked to other... Well, I've talked to other, you know, older musicians on the other hand, you know, uh, including some who have kids and they're like, no, it's fine. Just do it. Just keep going. Uh, So, you know, it's good to have those people around you. But I was kind of having those sort of I was that was kind of in the state of mind I was in. And then, uh, you know, over the two years of the the plague years, as we we call them, I learned to cope with it. Right. Of uh, like, accept that this is gone for the time being. And I don't know if it'll ever come back. I mean, I thought that for while like this may never come back um and then going out doing it again it's like oh wow the last two years were exactly as shitty as i thought they were (laughs) and um like at the beginning i was actually wrong to accept this uh because this was uh, i should have been lamenting and, and gnashing my weeping and gnashing my teeth the whole time because this is amazing and I don't know, it's like it gives you that perspective on things of like having the point of contrast. So it's like, it is that way. I mean, that was a choice though that I didn't make, right? <laughs> oh, I guess, was, again, I mean, I, the, it's separable from the conditions of, of the world. Yeah, yeah but the it, conditions it of life are put on you. Some, 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 some were your terms and, some, and a lot are life's. I think most are life's actually. It's whether we can see right. what life is asking or demanding, it's there. Um, it's just, you know, right. and well, so that, binaries too. Just I only have two options: this one or that one, one or the other. I, 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 it's it's very easy to do. Uh, be stuck there. Yeah, yeah. So I don't oh, know. Wait, wait, wait. It, Before it, we get away from uh, Nietzsche and Wagner, question for you. I wonder. You know that he called that the good years. I have the. You know, Nietzsche talks about childhood and children a lot and all that stuff. And I was wondering, how much do you think Wagner reflected his relationship with his dad? Uh, like a hundred percent. I mean, yeah, it was huge, right? He was, it, was, it was part of why surrogate father. Yeah. And it's part, it, it, right. Because I, you know, my understanding of how profoundly Nietzsche's dad affected him in the few short years that he was there from, from the harsh discipline to the music, that it was a huge for, you know, that that was all huge to Nietzsche and that he went, he lost his mind first too, right? His dad. Um, I don't know sick. about that. He, he, uh, I, I they wouldn't say, say I was just reading somewhere recently, and like was he, liquid, he was ill first. liquefaction of the brain. Well, he he fell he fell like really sick for like a little bit of a protracted period of time, but it was mostly he just kind of went. I think he, he was just in agony, and then he went catatonic and he died. Right. Um, I don't know if there was much of a sign of like mental decline before that, but uh, well, the Nietzsche, Nietzsche surgeon said it was liquefaction of the brain so he thought it was some yeah, sort you know, of God, out of everything you could get you don't want that like, brain melt yeah oh dude how's bob doing oh terrible he got the brain melt fuck yeah uh no sorry, sorry to mean to interrupt but to to take it to kind of logical conclusion here or um you know because i know in some of his later personal le- letters you know nietzsche wrote nietzsche kind of called like it, it's very zen monk to my mind you know that he's like i fear that i'm going to i guess if he was a zen monk he would have just said i'm going to lose my mind like my father and then die you know a while after that but he kind of did have that foresight to call his own fate there yeah you know well so about? you something in, something interesting um Oh, I, yeah, I'm aware of that. The, let, he, the he letters also, in particular, I meant. Uh, yeah, go on. Yeah. Um, something interesting. Uh, this is what sealed the deal for me. And like, oh, Wagner was his surrogate father. Uh, or or not surrogate. But you know what I mean? Like a, 
Um, yeah, he was a surrogate for his father. Well, it's a weird term to use because you could say a surrogate in the in like a colloquial sense, but then also there is like a literal term surrogate father. Well, it's both um, a stand-in and a reflection that he fit that Wagner fit and that, that that Nietzsche even projected so much so much hope into Wagner, right? And that he even said, like, oh, this is, you know, this is culture. This is this is the beginning of something grand, right? Like he was kind of going in that direction with it. Um but so so what, what sealed it for me that 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 was for sure how Nietzsche regarded him is that um his letters and journals are full of references to his dead father um, up to the point where he meets Wagner and becomes his friend. And then at that point, those references drop off to almost nothing. And okay. so I was like, Oh yeah. Wagner was his dad in Nietzsche's mind. basically." Right. And he, um, he talks of, uh, and so it had to be huge. The lot, the loss of uh, Wagner's friendship and kind of, you know, he talks about that too. But. Yeah. It's, it's a very, that's a very complicated thing and that's why it's like going to be like a two-part episode because like well i'm glad you're talking about that because i've seen i've seen analysts and write-ups and people talk about whether it's nietzsche's biography or his life or and like they don't talk about his child they hardly mention his childhood they you know they don't really get into those aspects uh, on like his relationships and you know and yet it was huge yeah well and there's also a lot of um i don't know you kind of see that like a lot of things get repeated like yeah, people sure. read like someone else's summary of what happened and then they yeah it gets proliferated it plays like a game of telephone kind of and then you like look at it like so one of the things i talk about is like the Bayreuth festival there's like some indication that nietzsche was kind of like oh i don't like these wagnerians but the main thing seems to be he just had headaches he had a bad time because he had headaches and that like being grumpy Nietzsche is like in reminds me of Schopenhauer being like, Hey, police guys, you can use my balcony to shoot those protesters. Like, <laughs> like is that yeah. grumpy, grumpy Nietzsche talking? Uh, right. We're right, right, right. So you think, well, I mean, he said, of- I mean, he says basically like, uh, well, you know, cause he's like going blind in one eye and like, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I know. And he had serious. Uh, yeah. His eye problems and he was saying one of the things he says in his life is like i can't it's impossible for me to look at anything i had to listen to De valkyrie in a dark room and so it's like oh you're just having an attack of your condition and so say, obviously you're not going to have a good time say, or, or, or he's turning a um, goth or emo <laughs> right yeah i, I just, he <laughs> wants to be in a dark room he's like the new batman no, don't call me Nietzsche. Yeah, robert pattinson yeah i'm vengeance don't call me call me the bat call me vengeance um it's a very topical reference about a film everyone will forget in five years oh yeah like everything else it'll be down the memory hole before we can oh speaking of down the memory hole what do you think of our um our great leap nowhere you know remember when all the statues came down and there were riots around the country for like a year straight like you know yeah we, i remember we, we they really they, talk uh, about it but they tore down a statue of cervantes i believe in one place oh yeah um, no they got dude they got stevie ray vaughn and- they did yeah, they got Stevie. No, they Ray, they go, yeah, they they tore out the statue of Stevie Ray Vaughan. Um, Not the one in Austin. No way. Maybe no, no. It might have been, it might have been elsewhere, but I know that's, okay. that's where, where where the the big one is. Um, yeah. They, no, they got Stevie Ray Vaughan. They got um, Abraham Lincoln. They got Frederick Douglass, and you know I think it's very emblematic of like American ignorance. You know. I mean, yeah. Uh, it's also like I don't. I wouldn't expect like an angry mob to have. Well, that's like why they're so terrifying. Foresight and, 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 and education or care about things like that. I mean, yeah. I mean, well, what's, it, 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 hmm. 
I'm not particularly like terrified of it, but you can see you can see that how the 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 the, the narrative from a lot of the media was right, but to, to read it like it, it wasn't an angry mob. Yeah, yeah, they, um, well, and exactly. that's what's and very to, to puzzling. Give them, like to give them free reign and to even encourage it on in a lot of ways. Right. It's like that. And, that's and what by I mean. the way. By the way, the police did not act very uh, professionally during that time either. Um, sure. You know, it's like for every video you could find of like, look, they're burning down somebody's business who's just like a, just somebody trying to have a business, right? And it's like they're angry uh, over police violence and now they're burning down your, your business. Great. Or tearing down a statue of Abraham Lincoln or whatever. And then on the other hand, the police, like you could watch countless videos of just a mob of cops wading into a crowd and swinging their baton indiscriminately. Right. Yeah. Um, and in Austin, uh, the police like shot a pregnant woman in the belly with like a beanbag round and she like had a miscarriage. So they aborted, uh, forcibly aborted a woman's baby during this. Yeah. If you did that, you'd probably get um, manslaughter. Oh, yeah. And that's like, uh, I don't know if the or cops got any punishment. Mm-hmm. Um, there was an iconic picture of them like, uh, there's like a big billboard. I think it's gone now, but it was like right by I 35 in the heart of downtown that's like, uh, you know, um, you know, we're here for your safety or some, some slogan like that. Well, that's how they didn't the do APD, anything. Like, but well, so they had, there's the, there was a big billboard up there with the APD badge. And it says like, you know, protecting, uh, keeping Austin safe or something like that. Somebody snapped a picture right as one of the cops is just like firing indiscriminately into the crowd from the highway, uh, like with that billboard behind him. Right. And so like to illustrate really what, a point. Uh, what what 2020 was during that summer was uh i think the comedian tim dylan put it best um people stayed in their house for months and when they finally came out they were ready to kill oh i knew it was gonna um, and you knew it was gonna happen too right like i dude it was it was obvious and then when i try to talk to people about it like it's like i get it you're both you're trying to keep your cool but I was like, I need you to understand that I see that these people are going to lose their fucking minds. And very few people were right. that. And everyone's like, no, no, it's fine. Everything's fine. Well, you like, don't need won't. all of them to lose their mind. No, no, right? no, no I get it. You I get it. Like, like, this is how you, you come to like, yourself. This is how you, right? This is well, how but you I mean, like, like if you want to have a riot, I'm saying you don't need 100% of the crowd to riot. Oh, right. right. You don't and even, and need, it, you don't don't even bring... need a majority. Right. Like, and then it brings the opportunists and also the crazy people out of the woodwork. And by create, you know, it's a weird term because we were talking about the hardest core people. Well, basically. Yeah. And, and then and then people who like there were all sorts of people who like Joseph yeah, Rosenbaum. Yeah. yeah. Oh, no, no, no. It, dude, that's exactly who I was thinking of. And I, and I guess we'll go there because here this guy is. It's literally a textbook Jungian description of how a violent zeitgeist affects those with psychosis you know this is like john lennon getting assassinated by some crazy guy who heard a mission from god you know and this guy just happenstance what got out of jail or the nut house again and he winds up out of the nut house on the day that people are saying basically it's okay to riot today Right. And that the media, but that the media, yeah. And that he joined in on that and he had no, he wasn't actually a political actor. He was, he was the example of that crazy person coming out of the woodwork, but then that the media and that so many people involved in these movements would then identify, like latch onto this guy being like, look at this innocent protester, right? He was just an innocent child molester or whatever the things were that, cause you know, he, he had a history, he had a rap sheet of, uh, you want to hear it? You want to hear a funny uh, microcosmic story? That's like the same thing. When I was in college, uh, I I lived at these apartments out in the east side of town. 
Um, it's like off of Pleasant Valley. It's not there anymore. It's called Campus Estates. And it was basically, here are some apartments if you want to fucking party. Um, because there is a party on Friday night, me and my roommates, we would step outside and just open our ears to the wind and be like, where do you hear dance music <laughs> and walk yeah. towards that apartment and just walk up and walk on in. And we were always welcome, right? Anybody would just show up. And so that's the kind of environment it was. And at one point we, we went over to this one complex or not complex, this other building on the other side of the complex where these people were having a party. And we had one friend there. Uh, his name was Mike. He was from Chicago and he loved to fucking fight. Uh, any excuse, right? <laughs> yeah, I know. And at type. one point, and at one point, we're on the balcony and we are looking out on like the sort of the lawn in front of this apartments. And there's like these women yelling at each other who are at the party and everyone's drunk and it's going back and forth. And then they start hitting each other. And then people start trying to restrain them. And then boyfriends get involved. And then suddenly, not only is there a fight, there's a fucking like brawl where 10, 12 people start piling onto each other and fighting. And then like all the other dozen people sort of in in the wings or whatever in the outskirts all rush in and it's just an all free-for-all and my buddy mike looks at us and he goes shit and he puts down his beer and runs into the the apartment to get downstairs and runs and jumps in there right um so there's no broader point to the story some people just like to fight and they see chaos happening and they're like, I want sure. part of that. It's exciting. Like this is different from, well, here's another uh, question stuff for you. Only get to do. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And it's excuse. Like you saw, and I think in those riots, uh, you know, uh, COVID times here, George Floyd, all that stuff, we saw a lot of kids like, you know, I think of that white kid who was there being filmed, throwing like shit on that fire in that police precinct. And a lot of those people, I don't think they got charged, but since they had him right there feeding the fire, they charged this guy. And there you go. And in one moment of the orgy, this kid forgets himself. And now he's serving 20 years in prison for, right. for burning, you know, and it's back to that notion of we often, you know, this is why kids and teenagers are dangerous. And, you know, I remember when my dad used to warn me as a kid, he'd be like, look, teenagers lack critical thinking skills. And I, it's hard to see when you're in it, but afterward it made sense you know that well i mean but you do, again you don't have a lot an idea of, of the long and short-term consequences well and, and people that should have known better well i was gonna it's funny because you're you're attributing that to teenagers but that immediately makes well, me think he was a little bit older six on on jan six like how many people just kind of got swept up in the uh oh why well, oh, we storming the capital let's yeah, let's 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 go in and like uh, a lot of them were were older people but like when you look at some of the video of that like there's some people who walked in there who yeah, they don't even really seem to know where they are, or what's going on. Like they're just kind of like doing the thing with everybody else. Yeah, not much of a plan, um, not entirely rational, not really an aim or purpose. And then you know, it's it's I you could play yakety sax over it. Yeah, or the yeah, yeah Benny Hill. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. No, um, Benny Hill. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I mean, uh, so I don't know. Yeah, it is. It is interesting because it's like um, it's almost it's like you said, it's like you, you give in to that, like complete, like self forgetting. And then it's like, Oh, reality, like comes crashing down to be like, no, yep. yeah, <laughs> it's actually very, yeah, very yeah, different. You, from yeah. That. You don't get to live here forever. But, you don't get to stay here forever. Well, Oh, oh before I forget, I was going to, that's why you, I don't I go wonder, to any of these, by the way. Oh yeah. You're, you're, you're not a big fan of riots and well, cause the, you know, dozens of people died, you know, to put it to, to take it, you know, seriously for a moment. 
Um, right. Like well, it had a serious consequence, you know, billions in damage. And look, I'll argue that people could say what they will, but look, whether it's someone's business or a rattlesnake's hole in the ground, it's like, you don't like, generally speaking, the law is that if you fuck with another animal, you're consenting to your destruction, whether you realize this or not. This also lines up with our, um, our working theory here on, um, again, we make decisions without realizing that we made them and without realizing their consequences for us. So an attack on, you know, I think like, okay, you could, your, your house could be robbed. And even if you didn't make contact with the robber, you could still feel violated. You know what I mean? You could still feel like that person, right. um, you know, if, Oh was, yeah. All that. I've had my car was, robbed a couple of times and you feel violated. Oh, yeah. Somebody was in my fucking car without my permission. Oh dude. I saw, I speaking of which I saw this one band get robbed outside of, um, they were, they're visiting this museum, one of these local bands and, uh, like the guy gets out there and he's like, ah, shit, my, they, they stole my insulin. It was like, oh, fuck, man. <laughs> that shit's expensive. Oh, too. damn. Yeah. Yeah. Like, wow. That's like the new black market of the future. Yeah, probably. You want to live? Yeah. <laughs> um, what was I going to say? Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, it's, huh. We I guess up uh, fighting. we've been what? talking about psychosis and enjoying the mob real quick. I did when right. I, I'm, I'm like, st- I'm still but, thinking along those lines right that it's basically that that's sort of the theory that uh, i'm going with that the reason why i don't go to things like this like uh, protests or riots or whatever is because like i get all of that out of my system when i go like play right. music or right and um, you have an identity I mean, established the therein oh no and i would say this the difference between okay why would you not lose yourself in a crowd because you have your identity established as an individual and a, with the collectives you associate with and then, so why would you go want to lose yourself in this? That's where my mind goes. And I think any... Well, think about it this way, is that uh, like the, the Dionysian rituals in ancient Greece is losing yourself within a ritual context. So it's like a... Uh, right. Um, think about it like the magic circle, the trope of the magic circle. The magician draws some runes around himself or draws a literal circle in the dirt. And now I'm protected in this magic circle, right? Right. Go lose yourself in a magic circle. Don't just go lose yourself out in the street with uh because like what's really happening there like quote unquote losing yourself what that means is i am walking out of the city gates and the the fucking animals are coming out to play right, right. Um, this is no longer part of civilization this is a wilderness right. and in the wilderness um it's like i'm sorry most of you are not strong enough to survive in the wilderness <laughs> uh most yeah. of us i include myself in this and so it's like uh, yeah there's the identity element but a lot of that identity is created by the fact Oh, uh, and what exists in context is back. We're to all now. doing, we're all doing this uh, self-forgetting ritual at a metal show inside of a little magic circle. You can go forget yourself here in a certain way. There's a certain way that you do it, right? Yes. So right. it's got a lot of rules. Like, even even if even if you let yourself go, it's still got a lot of rules. Right. I mean, like, yeah, it's like, uh, don't, uh, you can't lose yourself to the point of becoming a werewolf and chewing somebody's face off. But you can <laughs> right. like go smash into people if there's other people who want to be smashed into, or you can headbang and like, or you can drink yourself to the point of uh, oblivion or whatever. Um, all these things you can do, um, but it's part of something that um, is not just uh, complete reckless abandon. And everyone, everyone throws away all the boundaries at the same time out in public, because like what that means is just. Uh, like we're not respecting the rules of civilization anymore. And I'm sorry, that's like a really bad idea 
uh, for anybody. I, I mean, I don't know. I know there's people out there like anarchists and think like, oh, we need more chaos. We need to bring down the system, blah, blah, blah. Well, um, yeah, but some, everyone's dependent on that system. It's like, no, I think, well, I think there's a false dichotomy because I, and I think I see it manifest in both the right and the left in American politics where they frame this falsely moral this false moral equivalency, which it kind of frames like, are you on the people side or the machine side? And they both kind of do it and they're kind of what, how it manifests in both yeah. their, the melodrama of their ideology because, oh, this is something I want to ask you about speaking of ideologies and this relates to before we get too far. And I think it relates to psychosis. Uh, let me expand this for a second here. You know, um, even those ancient sentiments of things like, you know, not not just that better to not be born, or but never better to have never existed at all, right? Like uh, that, not just that life is suffering, but better to have never been born, and that all these cultish sentiment or all these sentiments or borderline ideologies have manifested in a certain cult-like following of these belief systems to the degree that people feel and think that way. So you know, whether it's you know people writing pessimistic literature or you know, a bunch of people on the internet talking about how much they hate life and hate breeders and, you know, you know, what the antinatalists call breeders, right? Or people who have babies, yeah. right? Because they're mad that people are continuing, you know, that, that anyone finds happiness or beauty here. You know, I guess a lot of these people, they can't. Really well, you're, you're, you're unfairly bringing people into existence. So you should stop. <laughs> yeah, well, it's, it's, yeah. it's kind of naive to me. It's like, to me, there's like, a, there's a, there's an element of but, like fatalistic wait, wisdom that's missing from a lot of that but i do so, think but it, i think it takes on this whole another like it's not just a sentiment it's almost like it has its it's its own force now like okay let me put it like this you give an animal a voice and what's it say about itself and then in x and it with with, with the over time what's it saying now and given a large enough voice what does it have to say about itself and that such uh, large portions of like like I think about, I guess here about back to America, you know, I think about psychosis, mental illness, violence, all these things here and, and the political kind of upheaval and the social upheaval. I, I see a lot of these things at work, you know, that these are a whole lot of different forces, you know, uh, vying for supremacy, essentially. You know, it, it really is the wealth of power yeah. at work. It just, it's manifested in different manner or, or, or expressions or ideologies. Yeah, well, I mean, I've talked about it before. I mean, I think it comes down to like temperamentally what people are like and like yes. where they're from. Experiences than, too. Yeah, more than like a uh, like people don't come to like a rational, um, you know, conclusion about what their uh, what their know, ideology is going to be. Oh yeah, yeah. I, well, I was thinking, but in some ways also with what everything the culture has on offer like let's say you're looking for answers as a young man in today's society you know where do you go what are you looking for what do you who do you talk to like your niche your your nietzsche and your father died at age four you know and now you're being raised by a bunch of women you're you're being raised by jordan peterson and alan watts right yeah kind of uh yeah and maybe some chuck polonowick too well if you yeah if you want to well, really he, go go nuts well, he and, and, and to me, it, it almost seems like a reality that there's a serious identity crisis. You know what I mean? Like, because that book was about that identity crisis that here you have a man saying, you know, I don't really, you know, I didn't say I don't feel like much of a man. He doesn't say that. But that's kind of the picture he's painting um, from the shallow materialism to this way of life that he feels so alien to the point that he has a psychotic break. Uh, you know, it's pretty nuts <laughs> from a storytelling perspective. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
so I don't know. I mean, I like, yeah. So you're, you're really, what you're getting at is the political, the identity aspect of politics, right? Yeah. Well, it, uh, and the, then part of uh, the broader American zeitgeist and culture period, like even go like, okay, if I brought, I brought a fight club to say, I'm like, okay, here was, here was something bubbling to the surface back in the nineties, just as an example. Um of what he was expressing in that book and a lot because a lot of it was about identity and then the right. politics stuff now focus you know it, it's it's those a lot of it is just identifying with tribal signifiers both ideological and hereditary yet there's also that component of identity to a lot of the politics yeah um voting blocks hmm. minority women uh you know trans well gay, i'm thinking right? i'm I'm thinking really in terms of like, okay, so what, when you bring up like Fight Club, right? Sure. A, a common theme in that movie is like wanting to find something real. Yeah. And they find like real through, life. Well, right. And they find it through like feeling and subjecting themselves to like pain and yes. uh, self destruction and, and self improvement. Like right. Um, all the, all, well, all right. the masculine well, shit he was so, lacking in his life, basically. All that shit that was repressed, it could only express itself. It actually, it does remind me, I, I actually meant to ask you earlier, you're talking about your friend going for a fight, and, you know, I think that's a temperamental thing. But I, I did want to ask you, you know, semi-jokingly, semi-seriously, how much repressed rage do you think there is in the average American male? Because <laughs> I, oh, I, uh, I, I think there's plenty. I think there's plenty. I think, as a matter I think of fact. you could fill, I think you could fill Amazon warehouses with the, the <laughs> oh, uh, that, that works of our society. That works metaphorically uh, and literally. Right. Well, but it's the, not just rage. Like, so that's often how it expresses itself, oh, right? Because that's sadness. a way to feel something. That, but it's, it's the desire for, it's the understanding that we're living in a fake world like uh in what adam curtis calls a dream world or uh, in uh you know nietzsche in his uh, untimely reflections would have called a world of incorrect feeling young called it a cinderella cinderella existence cinderella world Mm. um yeah um we're living in a world that just feels uh like something is fundamentally missing i mean how many people have that feeling in their life like well oh i think it's common i can't a lot of people here can't quite put my finger on what it is and um so there's like this i mean maybe it relates to identity insofar as like what people are looking for is something authentic something that like because and i, I would agree with like uh, professor uh jorg moller or hans jorg moller uh that mm-hmm. i don't think like authenticity is the default name of the game like what identity actually is i think what's happened is because we're so individualistic we believe like we've been raised with a set of cultural memes that like what what something real would be for you on the self-expression psychological identity level would be finding your true self finding your authentic self oh, which see, is i don't, I don't think that's that, like i don't think that's right you. at all i mean i think oh, yeah. I, I don't think it's far well i think i understand we see this this okay this goes back to our our, well, our so, so let me put it let me sure. put it another way look at maslow's hierarchy of needs the the idea the final uh the thing at the top of the pyramid is self-actualization, right? Right. Assuming and that's a true work, a true or a, you know, I guess a working model. Right. Well, but I mean, what he says about somebody who's self-actualized is that they would be able to make their own, they would be able to truly make their own decisions. It's actually the way he talks about it. It's like they'd be able to truly have freedom because yeah, they would be able to act independently. 
they'd be able to act independently of the age or the time or the conditions or their upbringing. They would be able to make a truly self-actualized choice, right? And so I'm not saying that people actually act in a way to do to be self-actualized. I'm saying that people have, I think, in American culture, this idea that a true what what finding identity is will be some form of self-actualization. Yes. And maybe and um, no, I that, think you're right that, in these things. That's what they need to do is somehow find a way to uh, become that person that in a, some way is like finding their true self, so to speak. Right. It was, um, goes back to having a voice, whether it's on a guitar or with your words. It's like if you don't feel like you have a voice or if you don't feel like you're in control of your voice, you you feel frustrated. You feel thwarted like, OK, you've been you've been on the other side of authority, probably on any number of occasions where you actually don't have any power. It's like to anyone who's actually been there and knows what that feels like. It's like that's what it is, you know, to not have a voice. Mm -hmm. You know, and then to imagine that in perpetuity where you feel invisible or you don't feel seen or acknowledged at all. And maybe it's because you're a boring person or maybe it's because there's not much to you or maybe you're, I don't know, maybe you have really low IQ, right? I don't know what it is that, you know, I can't say what are the limiting factors in any individual's life, right? It, it varies individual to individual. But I think you're right in how people conceive of this. But this is where I differ in saying that uh, to me, my... I think the uh, the fallacy to bring uh, the initial fallacy is assuming that you can find identity. I think we create identity. And, mm. you know, you were speaking as a Dionysian earlier when you were talking about risk. Like, of course, you would say that. I think temperamentally speaking, it, it's kind of who, who and what you are, right? It just seems that natural. Um, you tell me, though. Versus, <laughs> yeah, a little, little bit of risk is like salt in the stew. You don't want too much. But yeah, yeah. Enough, and then what there's you unnecessary need. risk. Yeah, there's unnecessary. Because right, right. like, again, if like a young man comes to you or me and he's asking us for help, it's like, well, shit, there's a lot of complicated stuff at work that makes it hard to impossible to even say, like, I don't know what's best for you. You don't. And that's well, a like, problem too, that you don't either. I have some, there's obviously some general guidelines and ideals, but, you know, it's like, well, you don't know that this kid can even handle that. That's true. But I, I do find when people give me their specific circumstances, oftentimes I can tell them like, you know, for example, they describe a relationship and you tell them like, oh, that really, sure. that's a bad relationship. You need to get out. And usually the problem isn't that like, you don't have the, like a lot of the time, the advice that people need or the it advice people are seeking it should be obvious. Should be obvious. What they really want is the permission yes, to do something exactly. or they want somebody to tell them to do it. Oh, and that's um, so always that they dangerous. Can know though. that that's what they were supposed to do. This is what's so dangerous. That's, about they don't want to make the though. choice. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. Then you're making the choice for them. And but, then is it? A, and then the question that they might or might not be minding, like, okay, imagine there's a difference between you telling your friend, "Oh, this is a toxic relationship," versus imagine Keegan as Jim Jones. Or do you ever hear about the ant the ant hill people the ant the ant hill kids? They're real far out no. there. Cult. Oh yeah. So this guy, you want you want to hear about the ant hill kids? Yeah, tell me about it. Oh, he saw he he like, I think they might have been Seventh Day Adventists or one of the already you know many uh, variable Christian organizations that popped up, but he um, you know he got his followers and kind of off and on through the years. But this guy's whole dig was uh, he thought he was a healer, so he'd like get drunk, perform surgery on people without anesthetic, then they would or wouldn't die. And then maybe he would or wouldn't Holy get popped shit. by the police. Yeah, and he repeated this cycle for like I want to say decades. And like he castrated people and like chopped limbs off and uteruses and like all sorts of stuff. This guy was out of his friggin' skull. He abused people. He killed babies, did all that stuff. And this guy just operated in perpetuity. 
I, I, operated I, I, in perpetuity. Yeah, you know, to the like degree more that, or less than one. Yeah, the, yeah. <laughs> the, the, well, you know that a lot of times it's like okay, a lot of killers and crazy people. All it takes is one body, and then the police do something. Now, I want to keep going on this on this psychosis and the mental illness and questions of cultural conditions here in America. But also, you know, we, you were talking a lot of shit earlier. I was a little bit too. And I was wondering, cause I actually happened to have, I have, okay, I swear these are very innocent stories, but I have a lot of incidental bad encounters with celebrities. And by bad, I mean, I somehow insulted them and like completely on accident in good humor and faith. Right. Like, but it just so happened that way. I was wondering what's your worst celebrity experience. I don't know if I actually have a bad celebrity experience because every time I've met like a celebrity, like a real celebrity, um, it's usually very brief. Yeah. Oh, they're like, uh, I met, uh, like, um, I've actually met a surprising number like at the grocery store. Um, cause out here in Austin, um, like certain parts of town, like, you kind of can know where the celebrities are going to show up. Sure. It's, I don't shop there because that's where celebrities show up, but um, like there's one in particular where tons of celebrities live out there and like, you'll see them shopping right, where Danza gets um, his cat food. Right. Well, I've met like Pierce Brosnan and Dennis Hopper and uh, cool. not Dennis Hopper, uh, Dennis Quaid. Uh, <laughs> sorry. R.A.P. Dennis right, well, well, they're, they're in a um, distance so we could talk shit. Drew Barrymore. Um, Oh, dude, she was yeah, terrible uh, in ET. She was she was terrible in ET. She's so overrated. <laughs> that's what I. T- that's what. That's the one thing I said to her, and she was like, "You were right. You're yeah, you're right." <laughs> no, uh, I, like so. That's the thing. I've never had like a bad celebrity encounter personally because I'm always just say, "Hey, I'm a fan of your work." And, like shake their hand or something. Oh yeah, no, I, I do that, dude. I've done that um, plenty too. But okay, let, let me give you my let me give you let me give you a bad one because I think you'll appreciate this. I, I was on a hike with a friend of mine. And we were kind of, we were walking along and I was looking off at something, you know, off to the side and she said something about Jared Leto. And I, 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 and I just, I had, you know, I had no idea why she brought up Jared Leto, but I look up and I'm just like, oh man, I can't stand this band 30 seconds to Mars. I fucking hate that band. You know, they're always on the radio and shit. Oh, and no. then, yeah. And I look up and he's literally right there passing us. And I was just like, oh shit, you know? And then she congratulated him on the Oscar. Cause this was when he won it for Dallas Buyers Club. And I said, I don't know, congratulations too. No, and you see, like, look, by all accounts, seems like a nice guy. And I think he's a cult leader now too. Um, Yeah, he is. uh, He is. No, and I understand why, dude. He was, he's very pretty. He was very beautiful. You got to chase that cheddar, man. You got to. He's beautiful. I should have work. You got to hustle and grind. I should have apologized and asked him to marry me. (laughs) That Jared Leto money. He's a terrible joker though. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, so he shouldn't do. Okay. His artistic license has been revoked on DC comics and music uh by the uh, yes the government okay so that's one and and again i didn't i i didn't think that he was there i thought as a cult leader he can he's an artist okay yeah you're right yeah yeah no no i'm for that no i think i think jared leto he seems okay this is a problem though they seem like banal enough until it's like after the fact and you're like oh they drank kool-aid and committed surgery or whatever right um well this is why i okay have i i don't think i've said this before uh publicly but i I've said it to a ton of people in my friend group. So do you know that conspiracy theory birds aren't real? That's not like a, it's like a fake conspiracy theory. It's yeah. I think I've heard what, what's yeah. 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 Go on. It's basically uh, there's a couple people behind it and they just started putting out this whole thing of like birds aren't real. They sell merch that says things like bird watching goes both ways and stuff like that, where uh, the birds are actually like uh, 
like government drones and like uh, <laughs> right, COVID was you. like everyone got locked down so they could change the batteries and the birds and like uh, stuff like that. And it's, it's not a real conspiracy that they're not purveying this because they believe it. They're making fun of conspiracy theories. Right. Um, and that might seem like that's, Oh, what a funny thing to do. And Hey, these people who believe conspiracy theories, they're not convinced by facts or evidence, right? Because it's a semi-religious style of belief. So um, you're not going to break through to them. One of the only things right, you not can rational. do, this is actually one of, not one of James Randi's methods. That's uh, how James Randi tried to attack the problem of gurus and cult leaders like we've been talking about. He said, well, the only thing you can really do is have a fake one. And then when that's successful, you point to it not to necessarily dissuade the people who uh believe in it but to 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 warn off others of like look you almost got suckered into this guy could be like any other uh -huh. any of them right, right? you you can't distinguish a yeah. real one from a fake yeah he's a predator and if you can't distinguish if you can't distinguish a real from a fake then that means like if they're if, they're, if, if the real is indistinguishable from the fake it means that the whole discipline's not real, right? Oh, <laughs> the, right. Well, like well, the whole trade trade of that is is not real, right? So, um, so I think that's the the strategy with this birds aren't real conspiracy is we're going to inoculate people against conspiracy thinking by like satirizing or like showing how ridiculous all of these conspiracy well, how theories are because rational, right? Like it kind of because it right you can always come up with some explanation or some reason why. Um, something happened that doesn't seem to jive with your conspiracy theory. Now, what the, but what I have to say is what the people who came up with birds aren't real may not. Well, know. I, you know what I heard? I heard? Well, well, well hold on, on, hold on real quick. So way back in the day, um, the popular popularization of the idea that the Illuminati controls the government began with a playboy, a, a um, uh, what was it? It was like an ad in Playboy magazine that basically said, are all the conspiracies in the country actually being perpetrated by one group, the Illuminati? And the yeah, people who were doing this were hippies who hated con conspiracy theories and thought they stopped people from being free in their minds because it made them like chained by paranoia, basically, sure. and suspicion at all times. Yeah. So we're going to satirize conspiracy theories by making up something so ridiculous that no one could believe it, that the Bavarian Illuminati, an 18th century utopian movement from Bavaria, somehow controls the entire government and corporate structure of America. No one could ever believe that. And lo and behold, here we are. Oh, right? dude, I remember do I've heard that. people go off and, on that stuff being like, oh, yeah, there's going to be a few years ago. It's like, oh, yeah, the 80 year shadow war is coming, you know, and they get real into it and they just go and go. Right. Well, but I, I, I guess I'm just sort of saying the people with the birds aren't real shit should stop because they think that no one could believe this and that it's all silly and they're going to satirize this conspiracy theory. Mark my words, in 10 fucking years, there are going to be people who legitimately believe birds aren't real. Well, you know who they're really covering and for, when right? You, and yeah, when you bring up the fact that this is widely known to be fake, they'll be like, yeah, that was a psyop to make you never question the reality of birds. Right. They'll have their explanation for why even the fake conspiracy was part of the conspiracy. So well, obviously you're not fuck. actually inoculating people against conspiracies. You're just introducing another one because no matter how ridiculous you think it is, how satirical you think it is. Um, and I don't remember how we got into this topic, but this is my public service announcement. Don't participate in making fake conspiracy theories. You're not helping. You're actually going to make things worse because it doesn't matter what your intentions are. 
right? That's not why people well, believe I think I think they're thing. doing it because it's bad. So generally, it's considered bad social taste to blame the Jews. So, you know, got to come up with something. <laughs> so you got to blame the birds. Yes. Well, the obviously the Jews Shift are behind the, blame. the birds. You know, they, they can't fool. They can't fool us. <laughs> right, right, right. Okay, but we better stop before, before anyone. I don't think we have to worry about it with uh, whatever prospective audience we have here. Um, if they're mm. gonna pull something crazy away from this, it's probably not about the actual. Oh, this is gonna get played at your funeral, dude. Oh, I'm fine with that. Like, oh, okay. <laughs> it'll be part oh, of your okay. legacy. So I no, I gotta tell, I gotta tell you a few, a few more stories just because you'll appreciate how how you know it's it's kind of Larry, it's Larry David shit a little bit. And then uh, this one time I met um, Corn Corn's guitarist, but it was their new guitarist, Monkey, and I didn't I didn't know what the deal with them was or whatever. And I'm just like, oh yeah, you know, cool stuff, man. I like some of your stuff, uh, but I liked them b- more before. I liked them, you know, I liked those first few albums, but not these new ones. He's like, oh man, he's like, I just got back. He's like, I just got here, and uh, you know, so basically, I just told him I didn't like the him or the, his direction. With the right, right. <laughs> you know, it was terrible. <laughs> so I, yeah, no, and I felt bad, you know, because it's it just it just happened. And then you want to hear the worst one? It'll take a minute, but it's it might be worth it. No, do it. Okay, you want to hear? Okay. The first part of the story is uh, I was with a girlfriend at the time and we were house sitting for uh, one of her friends and she was asleep and I was just up late last night. I was watching like VH1 back when that was a thing. Um, and then I think they were, it was like the, some kind of history documentary of metal. And I watched it to, you know, I watched it and then I can't remember what point, but uh, uh, what was his name? Um, not Lane Staley, that's Allison Chains, but Janie Lane from mm-hmm. Warrant was on there. And oh yeah, and he looked. I think I know the story you're gonna tell. Yeah, and he was talking about cherry pie. You know that they, they created the album yeah. and it was done, but they wanted should have blown my brain. Yeah, out. okay, so, so that, right that oh song. yeah, so that stuck in my yeah. head. So uh, so so everyone can understand. You know what he was saying was he compromised his artistic integrity, wrote this shitty pop song. It was basically the last major hit the band was known for before you know, hair metal kind of fell away in America, uh, American culture, and he hated himself for it. And he hated the song. And what when they wrote a whole album, before See, you, that, rem- you remember the it studio too. and the studio wanted uh, a single. And so they go back and they write this yeah. stupid fucking song just to give them a single. And then no one remembers any of the other shit you wrote in that. album. And they changed the, the name of the album too, done. right? To cherry pie. Yeah, it's like suddenly the album's cherry pie. Suddenly he's like, suddenly the band is cherry pie. Yes. I'm playing fucking cherry pie eating contests. My whole life is cherry pie. I'm cherry pie. Apparently affected us both similarly because I was just like, oh wow. yeah, I'll you remember know, that forever. Speaking yeah. of regrets. No, but okay. So, so, okay. Here's where it gets worse. I tell you that story to go on with it. So I was picking up a friend of mine from the airport and he's in the, he's, he's in the merchandising, right? He's in the music industry and he was coming from the other side of the country. You know, he, he told me that he had a friend who was coming back with him, you know, as him, his girlfriend and business partner and uh you know he's coming back with a friend of theirs who's going through a rough time in life and blah 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 and okay yeah i got plenty of room all good pick him up from the airport and we're talking and so i was talking to my friend about the documentary and i brought up uh not Jan- late lane staley uh janie lane that's right yeah but i told him the story anyway and you know uh i said i just i remember that it just struck me so hard that he said i'd shoot myself in the fucking head for that and it's a serious warning and you know the way you can be haunted by something so seemingly insignificant and then my friend leans in and like nudges me in the rib, right? He's, he's up there in the passenger seat with me and he st- sticks me in the rib and he goes, Hey, you might want to shut the fuck up. That's his wife back there. Whoa. Yeah. They just went through, they were going through a divorce and shit was getting messy. And oh man, you know, I don't know if you know what actually happened, you know, cause I, I, I caught it a while ago, but he wound up, uh, they found him dead in a hotel room. And that's how they, they, well, wait, 
this was, Wait, this was years later. Y- years later. Sorry, there's none to do. Uh, I didn't. I, that was an abrupt end to the story. So that was that was just yeah. that was the foot. That was the whoops <laughs> foot <laughs> moment. And then years later, you know, because again, it still sticks with that today. I can right. still remember hearing <laughs> him saying that how haunted he was. And dude, when they found him, um, the the coroner said it looked like he had been screaming. You know, when they found him, uh, uh, Janie Lane dead in a hotel room eventually. But uh, that was just right, a few right. years ago. So yeah, things didn't, dude, you know, his life got derailed and he never made it back. And it happens to a lot of artists. Right. Yeah, it's, I don't know. It's like, that's why I almost uh, would say I enjoy the the freedom of where I am having never been famous. I mean, <laughs> I've brought this up before, but La- Lao Tzu, like there's multiple passages in the Tao Te Ching where he just matter-of-factly talks about how fame is like curse and like the worst thing that could ever happen to you people will insult you and <laughs> right you'll get uh it's in uh the verse 38 of the Tao Te ching says you shall be dragged on twitter uh once you're famous oh yeah no yeah. i mean no, it's, it's like just, it's like the, it's like but, the buddha but, said you know if you if you snap back clap back on twitter thou shall be will be snapped back clap back you know everyone fears the whip everyone no one's beyond reproach yeah yeah uh i think that um i don't know i think really what it is for me is that it would like being a celebrity artist though because you get like people gain i mean really like what we're talking about right with cherry pie that's like an image that other people have of like what you are and what you represent as an artist that gets formed more and more strongly. Like oh, the more terrible. you're in the public eye and the more you're known. And like, I mentioned it kind of at the beginning, but like uh, in Kurt Cobain's uh, suicide letter, he quotes that Neil Young song I brought up. It's better, better to burn, burn out than, than fade, fade away. away. Right. And uh some people have interpreted that the people who think that Courtney Love killed him think that he was just talking about leaving. Oh, the music dude, did you see that? Did you hear that um, whole conspiracy it's, it's, theory with them and the? I think it was the mentors, right? The oh, dude, how do you think the rape rock? Oh yeah, how do you think the rape yeah, rock yeah, industry yeah. is doing these days? Speaking of the mentors, I don't, uh, dude. <laughs> it, it's funny you bring up the mentors because like have you ever two seen people them on this past <laughs> tour brought up the mentors? No, I know what they're about. Uh, I haven't seen them live, but two people in this past tour brought up the mentors. I'm like, I and I kind of thought about. It. I'm like, I have no idea how that still exists. I guess. <laughs> It's, like I don't think so it does. Beyond, it's so beyond the pale that like uh or no i mean like how anyone could even like or like something like gg allen right yeah and oh I, yeah junkies, i thought of that too. Like, still yeah. do stuff but like the fact that anyone has like a gg allen patch on their vest or whatever in 2022 right. is kind of wild to me i'm not necessarily you know Someone, someone's know. keeping I, the faith right <laughs> it's like all right there, there's right. something you don't I, see I, too often i mean i i, I personally don't like Gigi Allen because I, I don't like the idea of like you offer no musical value at all, but you're known for like the spectacle. It's like, okay, you're just not really like a, it's not really a musician yeah, even at that like, point. And like, yeah. Uh, vaudeville has more music than that. <laughs> oh, by like, by a lot. But um, I forget where we were going with that. Oh, Kurt Cobain. Well, so then like another person who killed himself um, there, there's a band called the devil's blood. Uh, they're somewhat obscure but they uh, have a sort of a cult following. And um, I kind of got in at the end of like, right before they, so the, the singer or not the singer, the, the main songwriter and guitarist killed himself uh, shortly after the band, like he broke up the band and then uh, 
committed suicide. And then they really blew up after that. Right. Um, but one of the sort of stories about how he was doing in the last months and days of his life is he had like a manager or an agent or somebody. It, it was somebody where he was talking to, maybe it wasn't, maybe it was just a friend. I don't know. I'm messing up the story. He, the point is he was talking to somebody right before he's about to go on and play to like a packed house because the band is like, there's, they're still kind of underground. I mean, even at this point, they're like an underground cult favorite or whatever, right. but they were like on, they were rising. Right. And they're playing bigger and bigger, you know, festivals and stuff. And he basically was talking about how shy he is and how much he hates being around people and having people know everything about him <laughs> and follow him around and everything. And basically where he's talking to he says, well, get used to a lot more of that. Like you realize this is right. there's only going to be more of this. Right. And then a couple months later, he kills himself. So, oh, yeah. Uh, well, I think you see that. Oh, gone. Yeah. Yeah. Like it seems. No, that's it. That's it. No, it seems that for some people, if they're not built for it or of certain constitution or temperament, it's just even if they do want to give give of their artistic ability to the world and others, it's like either the industry or the nature of. I don't know, even a fan base. Like, do you think of just how crazy a fan base can be and how ravenous? And I guess because, you know, it's like the artist is the one who has the identity. They created what they created. But then the other people outside of them, right, they sing the chorus. They're the ones who come to identify with what someone else created. And it resonates with them, right? It means something to them to the point of maybe even being a part of their identity, right? So it's like you see that, you know, why I think why so many fans are so you know, ravenous over whatever fandom it is, whether it's music or media or, you know, uh, politics even, let's say, um, mm -hmm. you know, it's easy to see why people get so up in arms about it. Cause I think once you've come to identify so wholly with something that you can no longer differentiate, like this is an attack on that is an attack on me. Hey, an attack on Jared Leto is an attack on me, you know? Right. <laughs> now, I don't think I insulted you when I met you, but forgive me if I did, man. And I guess, look, I guess, look, I know, I know you're not a celebrity on par with fucking Jared Leto. But you know you're 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 known around here and there, so you know. I don't think he did. I don't remember anything. I don't remember ever feeling insulted. Okay, good. It take it takes a lot with me, I guess, because um, you know. Because what you because you, you give a lot of goodwill. No, because you got to have a good sense of humor. Oh, I mean, for sure, like, for sure. I don't know. Like everybody likes to you know talk shit, so you gotta you gotta put up with it to some yeah. extent. What else can we say about Metallica and fucking? Jared Leto. <laughs> well, I'll say I'll say one final. I, I mean, I might need to get going here pretty soon. Oh, sure. Um, yeah, it's right. We've been at this for a minute. We've been at it for yeah, it looks like two hours, almost, almost. two hours, yeah. right? But I'll say a final thing about identity, maybe. Sure. Um, just insofar as or and really kind of what we were talking about earlier, like finding something real. Um that's what everyone's like really looking for. Cause it's like overwhelming sense of fakeness and they're looking for that so. with identity. And I think really the part of what would you say? So like politics doesn't, it, that's one of the things, right. That you, you just brought up, yeah, like you can identify people are using it. to fill that void, but it doesn't, but it doesn't actually scratch the itch Nope, because it's not real. <laughs> like it's uh, politics is intensely theatrical right. and, um, everyone knows that everyone well, knows, i think it's a good channel for melodrama no. i think it's a good channel uh, so it winds up being a good proxy for the channeling of melodrama but it's actually not the best it doesn't seem to be the most satisfying right. vehicle for it because it's so anonymous because to identify with well, the political that's, party well, that's 
that's it though right is that so <laughs> people then so the so the the people who are just out there just like voting and like watching cnn they're not really investing too much of their identity into politics like they've they've they found like other things yeah. right yeah because it doesn't really hit very well right it's like the weak tea version sure um but what i mean were the were the riots in 2020 was january 6th uh 2021 were those like uh the most real political engagement this country has ever seen because that's something that really is like yeah um, it's huge that's that's kind of what i've been like getting at it's like that's something that feels real to people that's the parallel of the fight club thing where it's like it seems like what's real so much isn't real what's real at this point is the psychosis and violence right the main character doesn't even have a name anymore it's like but what you can see that's real is the violence and the psychosis and all the reactions that kind of come from that it seems and i guess i guess it does seem like quite the yeah well unmooring really um, and you can see that reflected in the language that's all meant to distance and change, or even the way we use language, right? That there has been a sustained attack on linguistics and categories in the English language uh, here in America. Well, the way, well, really quick, you were saying the main character doesn't have a name, which I know you're talking about Fight Club, but it made me think of uh, They Live, just John Carpenter movie, oh, which yeah. I think part of the reason why that's such a great film is because you don't have to come from any like particular viewpoint or political background or whatever you can watch that movie and it so perfectly encapsulates what i think a lot of people go through like you have a moment where you wake up to like oh shit i'm living in a fake world um right there's and then you read between the lines of everything and then like what is the point of that movie though it's like it's it's the weaker point of it is the ending because he just kind of goes and like uh he shoots a bunch of people. He like tries to like. They're zombies in uh, disguise, right? Like blow up the satellite. Yeah, they're like aliens, but they look like weird zombies. Um, but it, the main character doesn't have a name, and he's just his. In the credits, he's uh, credited as Nada, is like who Roddy Piper plays, which means nothing. Nothing. Yeah. Right? Um, and so I, I don't know. I think that movie is very like archetypal and universal, and it goes back to the freaking nineteen eighties. Uh, people have been feeling oh, sure. like that sense of like, yeah. I'm insignificant. There's nothing. And I've come to the realization I'm living in this fake world. But then what do you do with that? Right. And yes. then when you go to the world of politics, you're like, this is theatrical and fake. And it's like, people look and they're like, how can these people want to riot? Well, wasn't, wasn't that the matrix? Too? It's like, of course, of course they want to riot and do violence because that is what Roddy Piper's character Nada does in They Live. It's like, well, uh, I'm here to Uh-oh. kick ass and chew bubble. Well, you know what that? You know what that reminds me of? If these are, if it's kind of like prisoner conditions, generally speaking, uh, there's this part in Zaf's essay, The Last Messiah, where he says, you know, one of the most evil things you can do is with an animal is to imprison them. And he talks about that in relation to imprisoning, you know, and it's criminals. You know, what else can you fucking do with them, right? Especially, you know, the most dangerous and predatory ones, but that's all besides the point what he says is of it is that under prisoner conditions uh, animals will often act out violently and aggressively and he see and he goes on to say that he sees this as this is basically the will acting out this is a it might not be a last gasp but it is it is a gasping of the will to go hey i still have vitality here hey i'm still alive here so it's almost like that 
okay, so I guess this, this, this factors into how I felt years ago when I, when I, when, when the COVID shit was happening, it's like, I was like, I knew these people were going to lose their fucking minds, dude. Cause I knew, I know how repressive Americans are. I know how much average repressed rage goes around here. Things like that came to my mind. So I was doing the math back when, and when that shit happened, it's like, yeah, it, it was inevitable. I thought it was natural. I thought it was inevitable. It's like, this was going to happen, especially when the government and the cops were being pricks about a lot of those COVID regulations and shit. You know, people couldn't even like a lot in some places they couldn't even sell online. Like they were restricting businesses in unnecessary and, you know, unjust ways and unconstitutional ways, obviously. Yeah. Well, I mean, even everybody immediately felt like everything, uh, all of like our social life basically was, was ended by decree. And that did have like all these economic consequences. And everything, yeah. But a ripple effect. Uh, I think, I think they're still catching up to us. I don't even think it's not even more. really by, by decree either. Like, um, because it was really, what would you say? It was really like just a, it was a meme of, of fear that went around. Yeah. And I mean, sure. look, I think that exists independently of policy. Um, sure. Because there could be open policies where you could technically, because I live in Texas, like we've been open for a lot of the time, like for the majority of the last two years, but that doesn't mean people are out doing things right. Because during certain periods of time, people were scared. And I think for a lot of the time that was actually justifiable fear, because if you have an unknown quantity, it doesn't make sense to like be blase with your risk analysis when we're first hearing like, Oh, this kills 2% of people. Right. right now we know that that that's not the reality, but, and we have like treatments and a vaccine and all these things, but at the time, like uh, it makes sense to me that that climate of fear would be there, but at the right, same time, right. like the, the un- people who try to like unknown at that, right. It's that much more volatile. It's one thing when you, ha- when you know your enemy and how to fight, it's another thing when you kind of don't. Yeah. That's, I think that's and how everyone huge. felt actually. Yeah. And, uh, but then regardless of, you know, where people were at on that or what the policy was like, that's just the reality was that the social life was like destroyed. And oh, so, right. yeah, that, well, people quickly fell in line. That was the craziest thing about it is that people quickly fell in line, you know, because the whole, I feel like people had already been groomed at that point for like the sides were already picked. Right. It's like, you know, land of the free home of the brave. It's like, you know, you got left or right, white or black, right. Like it's all very, everything's down to its lowest common denominator, generally speaking here. Um, see, that's the thing though. I feel like it kind of, I don't know if I fully agree with that, like of how it developed. Right. Because I feel like at the beginning people well, were flexible. actually pretty unified. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. Well, it, it, there like, was no, no, it, it quickly it, did. We can though. see polar, but yeah, well, that's exactly it though. You can see the polarization around COVID actually increase over time. Yes. And the polarization probably on more polarized else. now on COVID than we were a couple months ago. And there's not really even any COVID anymore. Right. Right. Oh, and you, um, well, you, right I think now. by other party members, you would be lamp. But I mean, in, in terms of like, alone. if you were to ask, well, I mean, if you were to ask the average, if you were to ask somebody what happened over the last two years, what they will tell you and the narrative that they will recount is going to vary wildly depending on what their political yeah. ideology is, which is it's also their temperament. Right. That's true. But it's like, and people will say, I mean, people on the left are guilty of this of like, well, it's about people not being educated about science that doesn't actually predict for whether, for what your COVID take is going to be your level of education in science, your level of education in the sciences does not predict oh, what yeah. your take on COVID policy is. Well, that's both condescending. Single, and if you have to use a, 
but if you want to use a single factor analysis to determine what correlates with somebody's position on COVID policies, you know what it is? It's politics. Yes, of course. It's not your level of education. So it's like that, but that's, it's funny because we've seen the polarization get worse and worse over time and more and more divided over what narrative we're telling about it. Um, I, I know. So that to me, gone. What's that? Sorry, go on. Oh, it, it just what that reveals to us is very interesting. Oh, that I agree. It's, 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 it's a, um, that it's not a function of like accruing new information, like these varying positions. It's like, it's almost like a, a natural process, like the way Jonathan Haidt describes polarization in his book. Um, he describes it like literally like electricity or like a, a magnet. I see, I don't know enough about physics, but like an object being polarized where uh, the electrons go to the poles, right? Oh, sure. They're literally like pushed apart. Um, yeah. And then it's like, almost so. like there's nothing you can do to this. And there's like nothing you can do to stop that reaction or that force. If it's strong enough, like if the criterion are met, like it's just, it's going to go till it's finished. Like whatever the polarization right. in the conflict in this country, right. It's already begun. Like, you're it's, not going to stop this reaction in mid motion, though. It's subsiding because we're we're forgetting about the issue because the issue is fading away in in light of new issues, right? Right, but that's not going to change how people. Yeah, it's not going to change the, divi- the division, the right? The divisions are still there. Right. The poly- the tribal. It's not right. like we're actually coming to agree. The masks are not coming off now because everyone agrees on <laughs> certainly like, the not. nature of COVID. Yeah. Right. All right. Well, I know we're, I know we got to wind it down here, but quick question on kind of summing up this topic. So in the absence of, I don't know, culture and identity and, you know, a clear cut, you know, I guess with the American personality crisis, like, is this, is this kind of psychosis and the fact that it's so common? Do you think it's, do you think it's like on, cause I've heard people assert that it's practically a rite of passage in America. And I'm starting to end like the more I look at it and the more I look at, the forensic evidence in like our history and our literature and our media, it all seems to me to be there that it psychosis practically is a coming of age ceremony in America or some sort of mental illness. And I obviously it doesn't affect everyone in all families, but it just seems very common. Right of passage. Well, I mean, two things come to mind. Or a formative uh, of I mean, maybe a formative process is better. A formative part of one's identity. Uh, that's even weirder, I guess, but go on. Well, it, it may be, I don't know. I mean, we have a lot of that in our mythos, right? Of like, oh, everyone has a midlife crisis. Oh, there's always teen angst. Um, but I think what that's a function of maybe is we have created something that I would call maybe like a therapeutic or therapy culture um, where we're, I mean, and I mean that both figuratively and literally, right? So I mean mm-hmm. that like we've we've um, internalized many of the literal actual concrete guidelines of how a therapist approaches um, interacting with others. We've the we've demanded to some extent that everyone act like a therapist for everyone else all the time. Or okay, I shouldn't say we've demanded that. What's being presented as the ideal way to behave? the virtuous way to behave the way to be a role model is to be a therapist for everyone else to be to speak to other people in the way their therapist does to listen to them don't judge them uh you know you can ask questions but just be supportive and affirmative of them um etc 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 um but another side of that is 
open up, be vulnerable. Um, don't be like, don't be afraid to admit you have a mental illness right. or to, um, and, and so I'm not going to go so far as to say that that's affirming mental illness. See, the problem is <laughs> there's no problem with your therapist talking to you that way. Right. Or with treating mental illness without judgment in a therapy session. That's what it's for. The problem is expanding it to the entire culture and suggesting that everybody should like accept mental illnesses as like a natural part of life or something like that. And, and I'm not saying like, you mean like, you mean like if your kids don't have it, like you, they, you got to give it to them. (laughs) Well, well, and I'm not saying to like, not, we should be less accepting of people with mental illness. I'm not saying that. that And I, 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 I have to say this shit. Right. Because, but like, look, if you don't clarify this, somebody out there. Oh, they're going to be like, Keegan, eugenics. Look at you, fucking eugenics, man. Right. But it is really as simple as saying, like, okay. hmm. We shouldn't glorify mental illness. We shouldn't pretend like it's a good. It's a thing to get. It's a thing to, like, it's it's a problem you should want to, like, overcome. It should be something you want to move on from and not something that you should uh, say that we have to affirm. Right. And, like, or like be accepting of at all times. And that like, I get that it's like the, the, the problem with statements like this is like, they're necessarily contextual because right. you have to deal with like, if like, you know, you have a family member, member with a severe mental illness that is not, uh, there's no remedy for it. That's just how that part, like they have severe autism, for example. Right? right. Or they snap and try and kill you. You have to take, you have to, you have to take care of that person. You have to like deal with that. Right. And there's no, there's no getting out of that by saying like, well, I just don't want to accept that or deal with it. But on the other hand, it's like uh, kind of what you're saying with like psychosis being a rite of passage or whatever, um, or how it we seems common it. and normal. Like it's whether cool, it's cool, drug to, it's induced, cool to be depressed. Yeah. To share. Oh, um, well, it's well like Tony, Tony Soprano, right? To like share. you get the quiet guy to right. open up. And he never shuts the fuck up. And, you know, right. Or having a, having, how many people do you know have had panic attacks? I mean, like I, like I've had a panic attack or two in my time. Um, And that to me is like, uh, I don't know. It, it's indicative of the fact that we've got a widespread problem. Yeah. There's a problem. It's an, and we shouldn't want to accept that <laughs> we should want to figure out what's causing that so right. we can stop treat, treat, we treat would, the illness we would regard it that it, way don't identify with it i mean because we would thing, treat it that way if it was physiological well like, i guess it's one thing to say like my mental illness has affected my life you know just as an example of someone saying what if and then it's another thing to sit there and and glorify it as if like well what are you to the point that well your spiritual identity in god's realm of heaven would just be a ball of mental illness you know what i mean like to where it's like i guess it's no different than anything else like when people when people make gender and race their main fetish of identity my thoughts generally are is like they probably don't have much else that's why they chose these things they actually don't have much else they can identify with I don't mean that like, and I don't mean that as an insult mm-hmm. or a dig. I just mean, I think that. I think it's uh, Doug 
Doug Stanhope and like his comedy where he's like, uh, whenever somebody tells you they're an Irish American, you know, they have like nothing else going for him. That, that's pretty good. It's like one of those things. That's pretty yeah. Good. It's just like when he's like, I'm an Irish graduate of some he's just like, dude, you have nothing. Like, why are you bringing up that? But it's like, you know, Doug Stanhope. Yeah. Go, go drink yourself to death. God damn it. No. Yeah. Oh, he probably will. Oh, Doug. Hey, well, yeah, we played in Bisbee. Arizona, where he lives. No shit. He didn't come to the show. Ah, boo. Yeah, he talks about it in his, in his uh, act, apparently. But, uh, yeah. Is that a good time to stop well, cool. it? Yeah, I guess let's... Uh, let's uh, yeah, yeah, do, do, do we'll the roundup. this thing up. Yeah, so, again, this has been Every Trivial Fact. I'm your host. My name is no one. This is my friend Keegan here. Uh, do you have... you want to tell people where they can find your work, your music, your... Anything you got on the horizon? If you... Google Destroyer of Light. You have to put in Destroyer of Light band now because there's a popular uh, uh, Greek uh, fiction, <laughs> ancient Greek-based fiction called Destroyer of Light. And there's actually, that's the second book that is like ancient Greek uh, romance novel that is called Destroyer of Light that's come out. There was one that was not as successful at the beginning of our career where we always beat them in Google. And then this one, I guess, invested a lot into advertising. Uh, that'll change once we start putting out albums again i think we'll i say that could that could be your next concept search. album we're gonna have more like longevity uh but <laughs> anyway you can google it and you'll find uh you'll find everything on there we'll be we'll be in the, the search you can also find us on bandcamp story of light.bandcamp.com uh, i've got a youtube channel it's essential salts uh, exactly just those two words no space essential salts uh i have music uh up there or live performances of bands and uh the Nietzsche podcast also it's also you can find the Nietzsche podcast on Spotify that's it all right uh yeah thanks again for joining me man that's probably good for today later you gotta give me a single like love in an elevator I need something like that so that night I wrote cherry pie sent it to him he lived with it over the weekend and all of a sudden the album's called Cherry Pie. The record's called Cherry Pie. I'm doing Cherry Pie eating contests. The single's Cherry Pie, right? If I'm lying, I'm dying. And my legacy's Cherry Pie. Everything about me is Cherry Pie. I'm a Cherry Pie guy. I could shoot myself in the head for writing that song.